more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. For all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. With Dave Manouk, with Ezra Ginsberg, I'm your host, Drew Mandel, here for the next couple of hours, talk about the Winnipeg Jets, talk about everything going on, related, adjacent, Concerning the Jets in any which way, shape, or form, we'll cover it over the We're going to talk about that hours. shirt. You can talk about my tie-dyed shirt if you'd want. It was a fall. I like it. Year. I love tie-dye. Remember there used to be a, a tie-dye store in the Cordon Village Mall? Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? Anybody yeah, who lives in River Heights or frequents River Heights, remember there? Well, I mean, there wasn't just one store in River Heights, but there was a tie-dye store where you'd go and you'd get a tie-dye shirt. Love tie dye. You'd, you'd make your own tie dye shirts, wasn't it? That you'd take your shirt and, like, I think it started with an A. It was in the front of the building, if I recall correctly. And I'm not even, I'm a North Ender, but I remember. I was going to uh, say, who let, you out of, who let you out of the North uh, End to go to know, that birthday party, that, Dave? When those Pollock families had birthday parties, Dave M was allowed to, uh, I, my passport allowed me in, uh, entry into the uh, South End. Fair enough. That was nice of them to uh, give you the permission to cross the to cross the border into the south end at that point in time. But yes, I do remember vaguely what you're uh, what you're talking about there, uh, Mr. Ginsburg. This is actually a this is a Father's Day. It's a nice shirt. Thank you. It was a Father's Day. I mean, it's not as nice as my shirt here that I'm wearing in in honor of Rick Ralph. That's right. Yeah. Are you going to burn uh, that shirt? I like your shirt too. A little bit later. Thank you. It was a Father's Day collector's item. It's, I'll tell you it's what, something, all right. if you have a t-shirt that says Sports Radio 1290, that's a collector's item. Because if you remember the uh, live on location broadcast when the Jets came back, we were all uh, handed out uh, by the, I say this tongue firmly in cheek, good people at Bell Media with uh, Sports Radio 1290 t-shirts. I think I might even still have one somewhere deep buried in a, in a closet. I'll have to see if I can... Uh, find that at some point in time and then uh, dispose Those of it. Those were the good old days, boys. Before it was TSN 1290. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. It was called Sports Radio 1290 back in the day. In any event, uh, good morning, everybody. This t-shirt that I'm wearing was a Father's Day gift for my kids, and it's what I grabbed out of the closet without thinking any further. And then as soon as I sat down in my oh-so-comfy chair here, I knew I was going to get some sort of feedback regarding it from uh, Mr. Ginsburg and Mr. And people obviously want to know as well, Drew, do the, does the you know carpet match the drapes? It does. It does. I'm I'm I, I'm tie dyed everywhere, <laughs> and what people don't people don't need to see it. People won't see it, but I'm tie dyed head to toe underneath the clothes. It's, I'm out. It's just <laughs> it's just a rainbow. It's just a rainbow plethora underneath. But again, God help us all if that's what we're talking about. It's but, better than your you leopard know, skin what? undies that you usually wear, Drew. That's a leopard skin thong, Ezzy. It's a thong. We've talked about this before. Dave's I, out again. <laughs> it got oh, very, man. very dark, very, very quick this morning, right, boys? Yeah. Well, you it's know, pretty what dark is, right now, Dave. It's, it, it, it's something. It, it's sort of funny, you know, because you were talking about it. You know, it's sort of like it was in that that sort of gap of that month or six weeks between when the Jets season ended. And then the you know the the cup final ended and there was all quiet. It's back to all quiet again. And I expect it to be all quiet come August. That's when the NHL basically shuts down for the month. As um, do we. 
as do we, of course. We start, we shut down the the Saturday show uh, starting right to the last Saturday in July. But you know, Mike, it's it's. I'm surprised that there hasn't really been any news, any sort of anything since the draft. I know you can say development camp, but development camp was just newsworthy in the sense that you got to see these players you've never really seen before uh, in Winnipeg. But other than that. What are you talking about, Drew? There was breaking news yesterday. Six Winnipeg Jets players got new numbers. Well, you know when Dave is promoting that over and over again, how 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 the the dearth of content and how it's really hey, actually little... shockingly people loved it. Actually, I have to say, I was I was surprised. I went and looked on the website. I was like, wow, that do well. So well, the funniest part, like Dave, is that there always has to be a number nine on the Jets, right? Like, yeah, it's so funny with like Bobby Hall and the history of that number, and also it's one and of Drew... the most iconic numbers, period, in hockey, yes, right? And CJ, but yeah, it's just funny, Dave, how there's always a number nine. I, that that's what stood out to me. I mean, some of the other numbers, yeah. I like. I think fans like to know, you know, what players' jersey numbers are going to be. I just think it's always funny about that number nine. That might just be me. No, though. I, I, no, I agree with you. As I thought it was funny, and then, like I said, there was uh, the what, what was the other one that people, um, Lauren Bressois, switching from thirty to thirty-nine. So folks will have to get a nine instead of a zero. But it was kind of him to the only make Winnipeggers have to change one number. He knows. How, he knows how. He knows we're always looking for a deal. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's aware of our roots and our and our and our reputation. But I mean, are you guys not a little bit surprised that there hasn't been additional moves of some variety? Given that you know, even if the goaltending and and Shifley or Hellebuck and Shifley don't, nothing happens with them. You know, the defense is still is still a big question mark. There haven't been any of the so that we know the guys who are eligible for arbitration or who have gone uh, and and have arbitration dates in in Barron and Velarde. But it's just been almost this entire week. It's just been sort of radio silence. I'm sort of surprised about that. I thought there'd still be some more shoes to drop as we get closer to the end of the month. I'm not that surprised about it, Ty. Like, I, I think that I'm calling you Ty because of the tie-dye shirt, by the way, Drew. I got but it. No, I mean, we you. know, we know guys, that this time of year is, I mean, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, right? Like, we went off air right before the free agency flurry started. I mean, it's always busy that first week, right, between whatever, July 1st and July 5th, whatever you want to say. So I'm not that mm-hmm. surprised. And, and also the Jets, you know, they made, you know, a, a, a fair amount of moves. They weren't the most active team, but... They made some moves, and you know whether that was signing Vlad Nemesnikov, whether that was made. signing. Pardon me. It's the moves that they haven't made right now. That right, that Drew. Is, but if you think about it, I mean, like, what are we talking about here? I mean, the Jets. I mean, it, it's not like they have to acquire a lot of second line or third line wingers. We're talking about, yeah, maybe. I mean, Connor Hellebuck is obviously the big one, right? And I'm not sure, you know, what that tweet from Kevin Weeks on Monday really meant. Like, mm-hmm. it, to me, it was a the little bit annoying. Mark, to be honest with it you, it was annoying. I agree with you. Well, there, so there was no, there was nothing to it. There was absolutely mm-hmm. nothing to it. That's why the report. I mean, if for those who didn't see it, I mean, I'm not saying anything against Kevin Weeks personally. I'm a big fan of Kevin Weeks. I think he does a great job as an insider. I think we've all seen him break, you know, signings or trades and stuff like that. I'm just saying, like, there was no substance to it. All all the tweets said for those again who didn't see it was, you know, Connor Hellbuck. Could he be on the move? Well. I mean, we've been talking about that for how long now? I mean, there was there was no bones to it, and he didn't say anything after that. So, I mean, there was no there was no substance to the tweet, and it got people riled up. Maybe that's what he was trying to do. I have no idea. But I think we know, guys, that the trade market in general has dried up. Like, you don't see it. You're not seeing a lot of, I mean, you're seeing a lot of, like, one-year deals, a lot of two-year deals for third and fourth-line guys, but it's not exactly, like, 
the most active time of the year around the league, right? Like there's some guys that are still looking for contracts, like, you know, at the top of the list, Vladimir Tarasenko, Matt Dumba. I mean, there's some quote unquote bigger names out there, but no, I'm not that surprised, Drew, because I mean, we talked about it last week. I mean, it doesn't seem like there's a move imminent coming with whether that's Hellebuck, Shifley on defense. So really, I think Chevy's probably main focus right now is signing the RFAs, right? And Gabe Velarde for sure, and Morgan Barron are at the top of that list. And I think, you know, if you guys do want to talk about it right now, I think Velarde's an interesting one, right? Because he's coming off of a career year, but that was by far his best year, right? Coming off of that one-year deal he signed at the same time last year with the Kings, right? So I don't think many people are expecting a a long-term deal, Dave, with Velarde. I think a bridge contract you know, is more likely, maybe you see it go to three or four years, right? Because the Jets have four years of team control, but I don't think anybody's expecting a seven or eight year deal for Velarde. I think, you know, Max, you're probably looking at what, four or five years for him? Well, yeah, my, my guess, my guess is that Velarde is going to, they're going to probably bridge him. Like I think you, you said as and say, do a two year deal. It's a safe bet. He gets an opportunity to show that last year was not an aberration, but what he's going to consistently do and, and begin to do as a full-time NHLer. And I think the Jets gives them some, you know, cause certainty for the next couple of years. And then you, you can lock him in. And we talked about it a little bit last week, that idea of, you know, do you want to take a chance on a guy like you did with Mark Shifley uh, and buy up his years now? But, you know, it's almost like it, to me, it's a hard one for Velarde and for the Jets, because it's not like Velarde came up through the Jets system and knew the Jets and knew the organization like Mark Shifley did. And so there's not that level of connectivity. And I don't know, we don't even know if the Velarde's been in Winnipeg yet, right? Like we know that we, he did his media availability from Kingston, which is where he's from. Mm-hmm. So we have no idea. And it, it's hard for him. It's hard to imagine. He's like, okay, I'm going to commit to a city for, you know, four five, six years without having some sort of understanding of what it's all about. So, so my suspicion would be that you do a two-year deal just to kind of get to know each other. You're not going to be right at UFA. So there's no, not, you don't have that same level of concern or urgency. Even if you did a three-year deal, you're only one year away. So I think I could see the Jets saying, let's do a two-year deal, fair term. And then that way, like I said, you get to see what he can do. And if you're Velarde, it's an opportunity to say, to overproduce over the next two years and the Jets are going to have to pay you. Well, and and if you remember back to when the Jets traded for Neil Pionk, uh, in, in the Truba trade, yep. they, he was also an RFA, and they signed him, if I recall correctly, I believe it was a two-year deal worth $3 million per season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, again, if you want to look at past action to predict future occurrence, that could be a, a sort of a, a game plan, a similar game plan for the Jets to follow. And I mean, and Velarde, I think Filardi's probably actually going to be around three million to four million, right, guys? Like probably, I mean, maybe a little bit higher. Year, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be in the five million dollar range yet, Dave. Like, I think Velarde's mm-hmm. going to get there on his next contract. But remember, like, what was he, what did he get from the Kings last year? Like, it was like a million dollars, I think, a twenty five. Yeah, yeah, it was so, like I mean, under that, it. Was, that's, yeah. That, that was one of the best bargains in the league, if you think about it, right? So well, Velarde's going to get a raise. His salary is going to probably at least triple. But I imagine, if I had to guess, I haven't crunched the numbers. Um, you know, like Garrett Hole does, but uh, shout out to Garrett. But I, I would imagine he's going to probably come in like two years, eight million, something like that, or maybe yeah, two I, years, I, seven and a half million. Something probably in that realm would would make the more would make sense to me. I don't think it's going to be much more than that. Uh, I'm just trying to look back at you know the win. Uh, I'm just looking at uh, Andrew Cop. I mean, you can look at Andrew Cop. You know, when he signed that one-year deal with the Jets uh, after the 2021 season, he had come off a season with uh, 40 points. 
uh, and he signed for you know three point six million dollars. So you're going to be somewhere in the sure. I think the three and a half to four million dollar yeah. range, and I think four would be on the high end of things. But you know, and and probably on a two year deal, and very similar to what both of you guys just said, uh, you know, that he would probably want to before making any sort of longer commitments to Winnipeg, he'd want to get a little bit more accustomed to the organization, a little more acquainted with the city itself. But then again, maybe he says something, you know, that you know, you can always sign a guy to a longer term deal, and if there's no, if there's no if there's not a no trade clause or something, then really it's, you know, the, he's getting some cost certainty. He's getting a sort of a bird, uh, you know, a bird in the hand as opposed to the two in the bush as the case might be. But I wouldn't expect that to be the case. I would expect it's going to be, I, I also wouldn't expect it to go to arbitration. No. I mean, I see no reason why this needs to be any sort of contentious uh, negotiation. Both sides know what the player is likely worth based on what other players around the league have done before. And, you know, well, how many it, jets over the last 12 years drew have actually gone to arbitration, right? Like you can count that on, on one hand, right? Like you just don't see it very before, often. You mean? No, that have actually, yeah. they've actually gone to arbitration. Yeah. Like it's with the jets or, or most teams, you just don't see it very often. Like I, I, if I can't remember the last time a jet doesn't matter, but going back to Velarde, when you're talking, if you look at Velarde like a replacement for Blake Wheeler, which I think is fair, considering that he can play the right side, right? But just, you know, in terms of his replacement value, Wheeler's replacement value, that is in the Jets' top nine or top six, however you want to look at it. I mean, if you're getting Velarde, who's on obviously the upward trajectory part of his career, you know, if he comes in at three and a half to four million and you also factor in how much money you're spending on the buyout for Blake Wheeler, which I believe is just under three million, right? Like it's a good value here. And I think... What I'm trying to say is like a bridge contract isn't a bad thing for Velarde, right? Considering that, as Dave mentioned, he he's not a Jets draft pick. He hasn't played a single game for the Jets. I don't think, you know, Jets fans should expect a long-term contract. Not to say that, you know, we don't see three or four years, but I think anything over five years, I'd be pretty shocked. And I think, you know, a, a two-year, like Drew said, around $4 million, maybe a little bit above, you know, it's hard to predict the exact dollar figure but I think a guy coming off a 23 goal 41 point season that is a good reliable defensive forward and at his mm -hmm. age at 23 years old I think that's kind of what you should be expecting a couple years um, around four million dollars a year and I think that's going to be good value for the Jets to be honest yeah it, it strikes me as it's probably an agreement that's going to work out for both teams Dave that the, neither side will be upset about that and if Lardy goes and outplays it which I assume he thinks he will uh, then he'll get paid, you know, two years down the road, or he'll get paid even a year or so down the road when he's eligible to sign another, uh, you know, a contract extension of the year, a year before the contract expires, something along those lines. I wouldn't expect there to be, I don't think that he thinks that he's going to get break the bank on this contract because he hasn't really done. I mean, all due respect, a 40 point season is nice, but it's a 40 point season. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you uh, plan a parade over. Yeah, no, I, I, I think we are all in agreement in that regard. Exactly why I think a two-year deal makes sense for everybody. I mean, he's talked, and I saw Alan just brought up his, uh, Alan Hayes says that he's got a concern about his his back issues, and Velarde said in his media availability that his back is is no longer an issue for him, and it hasn't been for a while, and that he's, uh, it's something that was uh, uh, impacted him early in his career, but it didn't impact him last season, and he said that, that but again, if you're the Jets, you, you know, to have that certainty, it's not just about certainty on the scoring sheet. It's, of course, about health issues and that sort of thing. So, no, I, I think two years really does make a lot of sense. And I think I'm with Ezzy. I think it's probably in that, you know, three to four million dollar range, something like that. Maybe three point 
I'll go three point four for my for my prediction uh, of the three point four to three point six for Gabe Velarde. So I'm guessing three point five. Uh, for a well, two-year, obviously, uh, we're joking, Dave. But honestly, it's you know these are the type of contracts that I think are are the hardest for agents oh, and, for sure. and teams right? because you've got a guy who everybody knows has a high ceiling, right? Like he's a first-round pick, and everybody can. And also, you have to factor in that there were so many centers with LA, right? Like you had Andre Kopitar there, you had Philip Deneau there, Quinton Byfield was playing center, Rasmus Kupari even was playing the same kind of role at times that Gabe Velarde was when he was having the injury problems. Right. So I think this one, right. like, I, like I realize you're joking, right. But you know, honestly, it could be anywhere from 3 million to 4 million. Like I have absolutely no idea, but it's safe mm-hmm. to say it's going to be somewhere in that range because he yeah. hasn't established himself yet. So it's, he's not in that five to $6 million range. No, that's for sure. No, no. And I, sorry, go oh, sorry, ahead. Dave. No, I was just going to finish the thought. And I was just going to say, so, so to me, it makes a lot of sense for the organization and the player to do that. And you're right, Drew. Absolutely. There's no, absolutely no chances this is going to arbitration because it's not, that wouldn't be good for either side. You don't start the relationship by going to arbitration. So mm-hmm. again, I, I think it's fairly reasonable uh, to suggest that it'll be a two-year deal. It'll be in that, let's say three and a half million dollar range somewhere, you know, plus or minus that. And uh, again, that I think that works for both because it gives Gabe Velarde an opportunity to see what this room, what the city is all about. And it gives uh, the organization time to evaluate. They obviously wanted him. Uh, they obviously scouted him. They obviously decided that he was a player who is someone that they wanted in Winnipeg. But again, you have to see if he's going to fit. And uh, that two-year deal will give them that opportunity. Well, let me ask you guys about Morgan Barron. He's the other arbitrate, the other Jets player that's filed for arbitration. And again, sort of similar situation. I wouldn't expect it to go all the way to arbitration. But you know, Morgan Barron is, you know, he had his first real significant playing time in the NHL last year, getting the 70 games. He puts up 21 points, the eight goals, 13 assists, you know, a guy who showed a lot of, uh, I would say that he showed that he's an NHL regular. He's probably a bottom of the lineup NHL regular, and maybe in a pinch, he can play up a little bit higher, but how do you sort of see that negotiation happening? Could you see maybe Morgan Barron being a, longer term deal with a lower AAV so that he sort of gets a little more uh, assurance for a guy who's really, I mean, again, a guy who doesn't have the highest of pedigree, wasn't a first round pick. Uh, He was a sixth round pick. You know, could he be a guy who maybe gets a five year, you know, I'm just throwing numbers out, you know, uh, two and a half million dollars a year sort of contract and gets a little bit of a longer term for it. How do you think that negotiation is going to, uh, is going to play itself out? Well, Drew, you say he's not uh, from a high pedigree. He did go to an Ivy League school, right? Cornell, he was the leading scorer. I'm just bugging you, obviously. But, um, you know, he was the top scorer, as I mentioned. So, I mean, this is a good player. And I agree with you. I I don't know if, you know, Morgan Barron, you could say his ceiling is a first-line winger. I wouldn't say that. Like, I do think that he has the potential because, you know, he he is relatively young at, what, 24 years old? I believe Mm -hmm. 24, 25 years old, right? So I think, you know, he, he still has a lot of development to go, I would say, like, Sometimes I think when a guy is 24, 25, you already consider him a veteran, but not necessarily the case when a guy played, you know, four years of college hockey, right? So yeah, Drew, could the Jets sign him to a longer term contract with a lower AAV? Like remember back in the day, Cali Yarncroke signed that, that contract with the Predators. Um, maybe like I would have no problem with that. Like I think Baron is a guy, it'll be interesting to see, you know, with the additions of Alex Iafalo and the addition, like the re-signing of Vlad Nemesnikov. It'll be interesting to see, like, is Morgan Barron a guy that is guaranteed a spot on the third line, or is he a guy that gets, you know, bumped down? Because we've talked about, like, a guy like Mason Appleton, 
I think based on his offensive production, I think the argument could be made that Mason Appleton on this, the way this Jets team is currently constructed, mm-hmm. Appleton is more of a fourth line guy, right? So I just wanted to throw that out there. Lowry and Apple, uh, pardon me, Lowry, Appleton and Barron were kind of staples of that third line. But now you've got options, right? Like Nino Niederreiter could be a third line guy, right? So that probably pushes Morgan Barron down. But I would expect it to be a shorter term deal, Drew, just because as you just mentioned, you know, he's coming off of his first full NHL season. So I don't know if you're going to see, Dave, like a five or six year or seven year deal. I think seven would be really shocking to a lot of people, but I would expect Barron to probably be similar to Velarde, right? Like you're looking at two years, um, you know, maybe you go a little bit higher into three or four years. Um, But to answer your question, Drew, yeah, like I think, you know, if you can get him, let's say at 2 million AAV or, you know, 2.5 AAV, maybe you lock him up for five plus years. I have no idea, but I expect him probably to be more of a quote unquote bridge contract. Dave, do you think that's the the way the Jets will go? I mean, they. I'm just trying to th- rack my brain on sort of their bot, what I'm going to call bottom of their lineup guys. I don't recall them really ever going. Uh, well, I guess out Lowry would be maybe the exception to that, but he was almost you know getting close to UFA status when he signed his deal. But I'm talking you know about five year deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm thinking. Well, Lowry know, had played three or four years at least right. He'd already before he signed that contract, right? As a key member yeah. of the Jets and everything else. So, I mean, I'm just trying to think for Morgan Barron, a guy who's, you know, only played that one year in Winnipeg so far. Could you see the team maybe sort of changing their approach and going on a bit of a longer term, lower AAV approach with him? Uh, you know what? I would say you could because they, they like him and they, they probably see more potential in him and what his ability is. And you just maybe thinking that he's scratching the surface after his first year playing what I think 70 games for the jets this mm-hmm. past season. But you know, you also have to think what is the next generation? What is the group of guys who are coming up in the system? And are you going to need to have a guy locked in for that kind of term? Now, again, that's the beauty of sports. And that's why this is such an interesting exercise because it's hard to know as he, right? We can't write a person's fortune and say, this is what they are. You know, they, they, the guy can only be a third liner. The guy can only be a fourth liner. There's plenty of examples of guys who have worked their ways up. And like, even a Mason Appleton, for example, you know, started with the moose as a fourth liner. By the end of the season, he made himself because of hard work, made himself a first liner. I'm just saying that sometimes opportunities present themselves and guys seize that opportunity. So there's always an opportunity potentially for a guy, especially without, you know, the Blake Wheelers blocking their way Mm -hmm. to seize a role if that opportunity presents itself. And then, hey, wait a second. I'm not just a guy who gets, you know, 10 to 15 goals and 10 to 15 assists in a season. Maybe I can get to 20. Maybe I can get to low, you know, 25. I'm not saying that Morgan Barron specifically. I'm just saying that we tend to have these, these blinders on when it comes to players and think this is what they are and this is all they can be. And again, as he said it, the guy's 24 years old. It's His career isn't set in stone as to what he can be. So uh, having said that, I, I still believe, though, the Jets would likely go shorter term here because I think for now, his, his skill set isn't necessarily not replaceable in the future by guys who are coming up if you see that opportunity. And so I would see the Jets saying, okay, let's just, again, see what we've got here in, in Morgan Barron. And if you can show... After a couple of years, well, guess what? That pushes a guy like Mason Appleton out of the lineup and Morgan Barron, you're going to be the guy who we, you know, have. because again, as, and it's something we've talked about, having an established fourth line is not something to, you know, thumb your nose at. And that's one thing that the Jets haven't been able to consistently do. And it's one thing that we, I mean, you look at Vegas, look how deep that team was. Having a good, effective fourth line is, is such an important thing. So if Morgan Barron ends up being part of a really good Jets fourth line, that's not a bad thing. 
Okay, as he seems to have vanished from the screen, so uh, we'll get him back on here momentarily. Oh, he might be back. I'm not sure if his internet's cutting in and out. He looks a little frozen, but uh, ironic given that he's outside. But I, I agree with you, Dave. I mean, look, I mean, I think the Jets, you know, at least the fact that they seem to have a more consistent identity uh, as it pertains to the bottom of their lineup is going to go a long way this year uh, for the team. I mean, I look at a guy like Mason Appleton, and I think you just mentioned him in your response, you know, saying how he sort of climbed his way out up from the fourth line of the uh, of the moose to get to where he is he's a guy that i think is going to need to demonstrate more especially on a jets team now that has increased depth because there are too many times where mason appleton can disappear for long stretches at a time we remember you sort of had that uh, that uh, that great game, I think it was against Colorado earlier in the year last year, if you remember that one. And uh, and then, you know, where you're like, okay, you know, is he finally going to maybe break through and prove to be a little bit more than, than what he's been so far in his career? And then, and of course, you can't, you know, the injury factor is a significant one with him as well. You can't just, you know, discount that. But this is a guy who I think it's just always needs to show a little bit more. I think there's more there, but he's never been able to demonstrate that he can actually put it forth. And there's more uh, options now for the Jets at the bottom of their lineup. So I don't think that he is necessarily just guaranteed anything without having to show that he's actually going to grab it. And I think it's a big year for him uh, with uh, as a result of that increased depth. Well, and I, and I think that that is a key point, Drew. I think the key is that Rick Bonus has to play his lines. He can't, and that's something he's well known for. It's what all the folks in Dallas, when they said, oh, you're getting Rick Bonus, well, your big dogs are going to get, you know, a lot of play, and your your third, fourth liners, maybe not so much. And that's one thing we'll probably have to, uh, you know, see from Rick Bonus how he, how he plays his teams uh, in, for the 23-24 season. Because, again, you don't need to run – the, we that was what we always lamented last year. Why are you playing Blake Wheeler 23 minutes a night? He doesn't need to be playing 23 minutes anymore. You have guys who can take that mantle a little bit, so or take some of those minutes away. And and he wasn't doing that. But anyways, we'll see if we can get Ez back, and uh, we'll we'll have to pray that the internet's working out there. Yeah, we'll see. Work on that. Rick Ralph is coming up. He's going to join us in a couple of moments' time. So let's take our first break of the morning. You're watching the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. 9.30 in the morning. I'm not sure what time it is in the Maritimes, but my Maritime math tells me it's time to welcome Rick Ralph to the program. Mr. Ralph, good to see you. Welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew, thanks for having me. It's 11.30. The taps are pouring already out east. Bye. Yeah, but the taps have been pouring since, since about probably 10 a.m. or if they if they even stopped from the night before. So yeah, let's well, let's not judge. Time. It's a little early on a Saturday, isn't it? I'm not judging. I'm I'm applauding. I think that's Why is fantastic. Fire is he cold? Dave's always cold. He, look, you know, he's the 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 skinny. He's got no meat on his bones, so he's always a little bit chilly. You know, Ginsburg's computer randomly shut down in the middle of the show, so now he's doing it off an iPhone. Basically, Rick, what we're saying, what we're saying is, in the uh, twelve or so years that you've known us, the professionalism has not improved at all. If anything, we've just gotten older and slightly dumber. No, well, that, that's to be expected, really. And as he doesn't pay his bills on time, which is why he's on his iPhone now. But How does that uh, look, Rick? Does that look it good? It will be 12 years this September 11th is when I landed here in Winnipeg and uh, to cover the Winnipeg Jets. Overheard a conversation in a studio in downtown Toronto about they needed to staff Winnipeg. And I said, I know a little bit about the city because my grandparents are from here. So, and my dad is from Nipawa. So that's how I ended up here and uh, now off again. 
off again you're so for those who don't know which is probably uh, i don't know if it's been public no uh, public news or a public announcement or a, a key to the city presentation has happened or anything along those lines but you are off to uh, join your significant others uh, samantha in calgary uh in the next uh, couple of weeks if i'm not mistaken yeah about four weeks from now um she's already out there started a new job she's in the media as well so she had a great opportunity and couldn't turn it down and so, um, yeah, I, I'm the reason that we moved here to Winnipeg, and now she's the reason that we're going to Calgary. So another month left here in the province, and uh, nothing but great memories and friends, too. That's good. Do you have cowboy boots? That was the most pressing issue that I wanted I have to cowboy boots. I have a hat. I have, yep, sure. I have all that gear. So, yeah, we've been going <laughs> okay. to Stampede for a number of years. I was out there earlier this year for actually last weekend for the kickoff of Stampede. That's winding up this weekend. There you go. You know, it's funny. I was I turned on the TV yesterday and uh, I guess there was maybe highlights from the stampede were on or something. And my son, who's he's, he's five, he said, Dad, what, what is this? And I said, I think it's the Calgary stampede. And he said, what happens at a stampede? And I'm thinking to myself, the only part about the stampede that I really know anything about has to do with, you know, the parties and the, the alcohol enjoyment and everything else. I honestly don't know what happens at a, at a regular stampede if you're watching like a stampede event. So that's, that's not really a, a question per se. It's just more of a comment that I'm completely ignorant sure. as to actually yeah, how stampedes. Rodeo work. in the afternoon, the truck wagons run at night and they've got bands every night. Plus the stuff you mentioned, plus the midway. <laughs> okay. As long as I can get some mini donuts, that's the important part. Yeah. That's right at the entrance. So, you know, you know, we're going to talk about the current Jets. We'll sort of bounce between looking back and looking forward in the next little bit. Do you have any sort of – what's your most prominent memory, I guess I would ask you, of that, of your time here in the peg and dealing with uh, us yokels and, and the other yokels that uh, populate this uh, media market? I, I think the, the one that stands out right away is the preseason game against the Columbus Blue Jackets and Dustin Bufflin introducing himself <laughs> to the crowd – which made him write the fan favorite from his entire time here. Uh, the, the, the building for a preseason game, and I've been to a lot of NHL preseason games, that was electric for a preseason game. And that first shift with him and Mark Stewart, that, that I'll remember. But I'll also take, you know, the callers, the contributors to the radio station. That was a lot of fun as well. Yeah, our good, our good friend Ralph, of course, uh, Ralph and St. James, keep your stick on the ice, that sort of thing, sort of, uh, you, and, and I guess from the from the radio perspective, I mean, you, you create a bond with these people, you create a, you know, and you've obviously had the opportunity to meet a lot of them, but you almost create a friendship, and then you finally meet in person, and, and to really sort of cement the friendship, I would argue. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's not that common, but it was here for whatever reason. It wasn't in Toronto. You rarely met anybody in Toronto. You met a few of them, but not many. But here it was more of a community around the hockey club and, and on the fan base and the radio station, for that matter. You mentioned, you know, Ralph from St. James, Straight Blade Ralph and, you know, uh, Cosmic Bob, all kinds of characters. The job was to kind of, in the early days, entertain the crowd, you know, on the back of a Winnipeg Jets game and you know, at the same time, analyze what happened and, and it's passionate. And some days, you know, there was a lot to talk about, you know, serious topics, so-called serious topics. And then other days, not as much. So you try to keep it a little bit light, have a little bit of fun while you're doing it. And uh, I thought, it, I, I mean, I had fun. So I think the others did as well. Most did, not everybody. <laughs> Rick, I don't know if you can tell that I'm wearing the TSN 1290 shirt right now, but um, I you didn't definitely... that either, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can definitely, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure Drew would say the same thing. And, and Richie, if he's listening or watching this uh, later, like we had so much fun doing it with you. 
all those years. And, and like you said, like forming those personal relationships. I remember Huston Lawless had the uh, caller of the year awards back in the day. I think we actually played pickup hockey uh, earlier that night, if I'm not mistaken. And Rick, you were in net and I don't think you were letting many pucks past you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was su- such a blast to do those pre and post game shows. I was only the, the fill in guy. It was Trevor Kidd yeah. and JP Vigier were obviously the, the main guys. But I wanted to ask you about, you know, this current Jets team, because right before you popped on, we were talking about it's been very quiet over the last you know, week or 10 days, obviously the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade was, was huge. And, and then the Jets signed a bunch of players after the draft, but I guess what, what is your kind of overall take on, on the Jets off season? Because as you know, I mean, it's, it's not common that, you know, the Jets have all of these core players that have either been traded, bought out, or could possibly be traded when you're talking about Hellebuck or Shifley. Yeah, I think this is a significant offseason here for general manager Kevin Chevaldeoff, who is the second longest termed GM in league history right now, as among the current guys, right? Armstrong, I think, in St. Louis has got him by a year. But you talk about Shifley now into the final year of his contract, Hellebuck, Niederreiter, Dylan DeMello, Brennan Dillon. Those are significant pieces. And you've already looked at your captain, Blake Wheeler, has gone to New York and take a minimum deal there. And then you've got Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's ended up in L.A. Now, I like what they got in return for Dubois. He wasn't going to stay, and I'm surprised Shifley's made it this far. Um, I would be surprised if he starts the season with the Winnipeg Jets. But at the same time, you look at it from Kevin Chevaldeoff's standpoint, they do have him for another year. You're not going to let that guy walk. He's not going to re-sign here, nor is Hellebuck. Both have made it known. And so at some point, preferably, I would think in the offseason, you're going to move him, but you know, the other general managers know what position Kevin Sheveldoff is with these players, and they're not exactly going to try and, you know, help them, um, so to speak. So the offseason, when you're trying to move these big pieces, sometimes isn't the easiest because a lot of the teams have kind of settled and are trying to see what they've got. Once the season gets underway, then I think, you know, teams that had expectations and maybe are not meeting them, then they enter the picture in trading those kind of players. But it's been, it's a significant offseason, you know, losing buff, you know, at one point, and, and then Patrick Laine moving off to Columbus. I mean, those were big events, but you're right. Like, we haven't seen this many core people come up with question marks, and it's a big year in the offseason. I think we see that every year, but this is a significant <laughs> one here and a real change of the guard. I mean, Lowry's 30 now. Shifley's 30. I mean, even Ehlers is 27. There's, you know, the return you get, I think uh, Ayafalo is 27 and uh, – Velarde, I think, is 23. So that's that's the positive there. But at, at one time, the Jets were the draft developed. They still are. But now this core of draft and develop and some acquired by trade are moving on. So, you know, we haven't seen that yet in this organization. Well, Rick, you're talking about moving on and, and vibes. And and you were here. You've been here since the beginning. So what are you noticing from, from off the ice, an organizational perspective? Because it's different, right? Before the playoffs began, they, they released their – let's say ill-advised commercial to try and solicit threatened fans to buy season tickets. They say it was for a corporate perspective, but from, from the off ice perspective, the, the, the attitude towards the team, the, the thoughts towards the team, what what have you noticed how they evolved from when everybody was just ecstatic at the NHL back? Cause I agree with you, by the way, that was, that would, that preseason game was one of the most electric games I've been to period. That was like, it felt like a game seven of a Stanley Cup finals, let alone a preseason game. Are we talking about practice? So I agree with you. It was crazy that being in that building. I I remember saying to a friend when they were looking at their Jets tickets to pick a game, I said, you pick that preseason game because I'm telling you it's going to be absolutely electric. And it was. 
Well, and, you know, in that first, that fall, uh, going out to Iceplex and, you know, I, my first time out there, I arrive, it's training camp. Usually there's nobody in the building, but media and some players <laughs> and the place was packed, you know, and I thought this is going to be a real, I knew coming out, it was going to be magical, but not quite as big as it was. You know, the off-ice stuff now, you know, we all heard about the waiting list and trying to get tickets when the team first got here, and now you can get a ticket. Um, that That's normal, I think, course of business. I mean, the team would like to have, I would think, a little more support because you're hearing from some people that are either giving up season tickets or going into bigger groups. You know, times are tough right now economically for a lot of people, so I understand that. But this isn't the first time we've been through an economic time like this, and the NHL teams, they all go through it. So if this team becomes very competitive again and is exciting to watch, you know, the fan base to me will be there. But there's a tough stretch here where, you know, you've got to rebuild this club and rebuild the confidence with your uh, maybe not rebuild, but retool and uh, get the confidence of your fan base who are willing to come and watch. Rick Ralph, our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show Saturday morning. Rick joining us as he's soon to depart for Calgary. Not, I wouldn't say greener grass because the grass isn't always greener on the other side. But, well, it's uh, actually quite dry out there. That's right. It was, it was yeah. A little bit, yeah, exactly. It's on not, fire. You could use a little bit of rain, a little bit of water out there. Yeah. You know, coming from the Toronto market where you spent so much time in the radio industry and the media industry in Toronto, and then you coming here to Winnipeg, what were your sort of primary, what did you notice as the big differences between the two markets? Obviously Toronto is the elephant in Canada when it comes to just taking in all the oxygen, especially when it comes to sports and everything else, but then coming to Winnipeg, which has got the sort of the intense passion of a smaller market. How, how did you sort of uh, notice the differences and, 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 and incorporate that into maybe your day-to-day? Well, I think that the, the big difference, I mean, Toronto's got 12 million people within an hour's drive of that arena downtown, right? So that bottom bowl, at uh, that lower bowl in mm-hmm. Toronto is a lot of corporate type there. And I noticed when I get out here to Winnipeg right away, yeah, there's some corporate folks as well, but not as many suits on a given night in the lower bowl. You know, the, the if I can call it the average fan. Um, had the opportunity to get into the lower bowl, provided they had the money to do it, right? But that was a different vibe that I noticed. The fan base, especially in those first couple of years, very loud all the time. And then, you know, as the years go by, you kind of get into that routine of a regular game and you're being told to make noise, whereas in the early years, you <laughs> make noise anyway. So that that's a little bit different. I mean, the, the media coverage, there's not as much here as there is in Southern Ontario. That's just by population, plus your proximity to the United States, bigger markets there, Detroit, Buffalo. So when New York would come to town, you know, the media would be four or five deep in a circle, boom mics, ladders, that sort of thing. Get here, you know, I could stand off to the side. There wasn't that much unless Toronto or New York came through. Mm-hmm. So a little bit different there with regards to, you know, how much is covered of the team. And then, the aggressiveness of the media, with all due respect to everybody here in the media, it's tough in Toronto. That you know, you are competing. There was five papers, I think, at the time. You know, multiple radio, television. Um, now you've got blogs as well, and everybody's looking for an angle. And so there's a lot of tough questions that are thrown, um, but at the same time, you have to be respectable of those tough questions. Um, because you don't want to burn any bridges. So I found that a little bit different here, where there maybe wouldn't be as much criticism of the management side or the ownership side as you would see in Toronto. But your manager here 
you know, Kevin Chevaldeoff is about as ex same as accessibility as it was in Toronto. The difference is you hear from the chairman, Mark Chipman here, and you don't hear in Toronto from the owner. You never hear from Larry Tannenbaum. You don't hear anybody from that board. And so that's different. You, the media would take swings at them, but they would never appear uh, in an interview. Whereas Chipman is, you know, available to speak and does speak and you see him out in the community as well. So that's a big difference I found here. You know, Rick, just kind of going back to what we were talking about, we've mentioned several times that you're going to be moving to, to Calgary shortly to mention, to, to join Sam. And, you know, I think there's some parallels with what I think you, maybe you disagree, but I think we've talked about this on this show before um, what's happening with Calgary, not just, you know, Matthew Kachuk leaving and, and Johnny Gaudreau deciding to sign with Columbus, but you hear like the flames, for example, have already traded Tyler Toffoli, but you, you hear about some of those guys that are in expiring contracts, such as Elias Lindholm, like you're starting to see kind of similar, like the core of that team changing. And, and you hear a lot of talk about, you know, how a lot of players have the jets and, and Calgary and the senators on the, on the no move clause. But, you know, I'd like to get your take on this because as far as I'm concerned, if you have a winning team, regardless if you're in Winnipeg, Ottawa or, or Calgary or Edmonton, for that matter, uh, Edmonton obviously happens to have McDavid and Dreisaitl, who I think are pretty good. But I mean, is it your is it your take that I mean, if a team is doing well, I mean, players are going to want to go there. You think about, you know, 2018 with Paul Stastny coming to join the Jets and then the Jets going on that run to the West final that we obviously all remember, like. What, what is your kind of overall take on, on what's happening, you know, not only in Winnipeg here with, with players wanting to leave prior to becoming free agents, but also what's happening in Calgary as there, you know, has been quite a, quite a little exodus there over the last couple of years. And you mentioned Edmonton as well. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Let's go back eight years. Nobody wanted to go to Edmonton. They couldn't mm -hmm. get free agents. And now people want to go to Edmonton. Why? Because of McDavid and Dreisaitl. So a winning atmosphere um, you know, and I don't know about inside the dressing room there, how tight that group is, but the team has performed well. So I assume things are OK there. That's attractive. Calgary, you mentioned, too. I mean, there's a situation where they were in what Winnipeg is in now. And you look at Johnny Gaudreau moving right away. They're big pieces. They're core players. They're gone. All of them. And they've retooled that pretty aggressively. And I think of Vegas as a great example as well. When you see what they do and make a run toward the final and they can't win at all, they retool. That's a little bit different with the expansion, but they still are pretty aggressive in being able to retool. Different market, right? you very competitive there for the dollar, so you always have to be top of mind. So I get that. A little bit different than it is here. But I think Calgary is a pretty good example of, you know, what can happen with teams and where Winnipeg is right now. You know, we'll see when they come out on the other end, if Shifley's here, what they get in return for him as well. And do they move a guy like Nita Ryder, who I was really impressed with last year for the Jets, you know, in the final year of his contract as well, plus the two guys on the back end. You know, that that those are some pretty core pieces. But uh, Calgary's done it. Uh, the jury is still out, I think, on where Calgary's at. But uh, we'll see that heading into this season. But the, they've been, I think, a year ahead of what Winnipeg's having to do this summer. Now, Rick, the you know we talk about the changing media landscape. We're doing the show on our YouTube channel, obviously not on the TSN 1290 uh, sound waves anymore. 
and 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 it's changing landscape in in a lot of markets, right? We know in Vancouver, Edmonton, Edmonton, obviously the most recent uh, big cut, but obviously across Canada, and you're seeing this move. But I guess reflecting back on your time here in 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 media in Winnipeg, and obviously on the radio station, you know, did you have a favorite call that you ever did, or was it the time that Remus and I ended the strike at five o'clock in the morning <laughs> uh, on on the airwaves? But is yeah, there, that is was there great. Any, Everybody's is, phone going off at eight o'clock in the morning on a we on a Sunday. Yeah, I get a text from Remus. I think I'd fallen asleep like an hour before expecting it to end. And all of a sudden, Remus is like, the strike is over. And it I'm like, lockout. okay. It wasn't a strike. Oh, sorry, the lockout. The lockout's over. <laughs> and I'm like, so what do you want to do? He goes, well, Rack says we should get to the station. I'm like, okay. And all of a sudden, it's like Remus and I for like an hour until anybody starts filtering in. But anyways, I'm not expecting that to be your top memory. But what was uh, maybe some <laughs> of your It was core? an operation they ran there. Oh, let me tell you. Well, yeah, that's a little bit different too because I, I was fortunate. I, I started at the what was called the Fan 590 in Toronto uh, mm-hmm. about two years after it launched. It was the first and only sports station in the country at the time. We had a large staff. So you would have had a staff on the air Sunday morning at 7 o'clock anyway. We had one, you know, weekend nights till five in the morning. We were almost 24-7 in the early days. They scaled that back a little bit. But, yeah, we didn't have that luxury uh, here in Winnipeg. So the weekend morning on a Sunday in the summer was not, as you mentioned, staff. So it was kind of like the volunteer fire department, I think, of back home where the alarm goes. Everybody gets paged, and whoever can get there first gets on the air, and away you go from there. But, yeah, and that's what that was. It was a pretty good memory. But, yeah, sports radio landscape, as you mentioned off the tops, changed quite a bit. And, um, you know, we, we went from being the first, I say we, when I was there, the first sports station. And I think Bell at the time got a little bit annoyed that we kept using their people from TSN on our radio station. So they thought, well, we can do this, too. So they started TSN 1050, right? 1290 was already here for years. They just rebranded it once I get out here. Vancouver, Edmonton, Ottawa, Montreal, Hamilton. And now we're going back the other way. Everything's being scaled back, unfortunately. And, you know, I think time is limited for Montreal and and Ottawa as well, unfortunately, with the NHL rights there when those packages are up. There's rumors that maybe they're next. So that's unfortunate. A lot of good people, men and women, that'll be out of work in in industry. And I, I, I meet so many people on the street here. And, you know, if I go to a bomber game as well and, you know, they miss the radio station, as we all do. It's a lot of fun. It was very successful. You know, that people I don't think realize that in our demographic. We were some of the shows were, um, you know, number two in the market in the male 2554 category. So it wasn't like, you know, we weren't making money. I think we weren't making enough for the the parent company and you know they're focused mostly on cell phones and, and cellular now so uh, and internet so i get that which is here we are now on the internet so i guess they're winning that way as well <laughs> rick ralph our guest on the illegal curve hockey show yeah they uh, somehow the corporations always end up winning which is sort of a little bit of a a, a, a disheartening reality to have to deal with but nonetheless uh, that that seems to be the case you know uh, piggy piggybacking on that you know, the next sort of model for, for rights and, and media rights, especially when it comes to uh, radio broadcast, is, you know, is there a reason for teams to, to you know, have radio broadcasts 10 years from now, 15 years from now? Or are we strictly going to be a, a completely streaming landscape? I mean, that's just sort of a, a topic of conversation more than yeah. anything. Yeah, well, I think your your AM radio stations, they're on their last legs. We've seen that with Bell trying to sell some, and there's no mm-hmm. buyers. To broadcast with an AM transmitter is quite expensive, to my knowledge. Not as expensive with FM. Even some automakers are going to get rid of AM radio. I think you're always going to have radio. It's just what version is it? 
you mentioned streaming. And I think that's what we're going to see, you know, some sort of FM or something even better as far as technology streamed in the cars. We already have that with satellite, mm -hmm. a lot of channels. So that, that will be there. It's just, do we use it traditionally? I mean, you can play stuff at home. Here we are right now, you know, staring at a, at a computer screen. So things are a little bit different, still all evolving. But, you know, I was reading a stat earlier, um, I think this year, about, you know, how vinyl records have outsold CD players. So life moves, things, <laughs> things will evolve. You know, when we actually, we still have radio stations. I think you're going to see AM move over to FM. We've already seen that in Calgary with Chorus Communications, um, getting rid of their rock station out there, moving the talk station over to the FM. Got to ask the CRTC about that first. So, um, you know, that got, that got a little bit money. But I think you're going to see more of that you know, where the AM stations move to FM or are just unplugged completely and the transmitters let go. Let me ask you this, Rick. So, I mean, obviously, you know, when the station existed or sports radio stations existed, you know, there's obviously, you know, the people who just keep it tuned to that station all the time. They never change their dial, no matter basically what's being discussed. Uh, you know, do you think that the removal of that creates more of a disengagement between the fan base and the teams themselves, that there isn't that sort of intermediary to, to sort of, uh, for, you know, keep the ties that bind even tighter? You know that just strictly, you know the 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 team uh, journalists and uh, you know talking to the fans. Yes, it maybe removes one filter, but it also sort of creates only the rose-colored glasses viewpoint. Does that lead well, to disengagement? Yeah, I, I think you're bang on there, Drew. And um, you know because we were an independent party, we were a partner with the club, mm -hmm. but we weren't owned by the club, so we had you know ways of and i always tried to be fair if i was going to criticize the team i have to be sure that you know what i'm saying is correct and it's also fair and then when things go well right the cup has to be half full as well so you had to be fair in both sides but i think when you remove that day-to-day -day chatter mm -hmm. on a station and you're right people who are driving for a living or maybe sitting at a desk would stream it all day long you lose that chatter around the hockey club so, you know, yes, the Jets have taken it in-house. We've seen that with some other teams as well. You know, I'm not as fond of that with all due respect to the folks that are working there because I know a number of them and they do a great job. Mm -hmm. But you are not going to be as critical um, as, say, we would be on the radio station. So there is that. When you lose that and it's gone, people have to either find it somewhere else or it's gone. And maybe there's not as much chatter. Let's face it, for the Jets, it was free advertising every day. For the Bombers yeah, as well, course. for the Gold Eyes, right? It, it's free. And now the, the Bears, um, there's a basketball team here, which I somehow got in here without me noticing. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> You can't get tickets to it. They were sold out again last night. Yeah, on Watts was there. So, yeah, yeah was, and uh, maybe I'll get to a game before I go. But um, I'm going on Sunday. You can come with us on Sunday if you want. Do I have to sit with you? Uh, you, you can sit with my kid. I mean, I can sit somewhere else. Your It's up to you. It's completely up to you. I don't, I don't want to force your hand or anything. Yeah, but that chatter, right? That's advertising for your hockey club or your football team. That When that chatter is not there, that advertising is gone. I'll just call it advertising. That's gone. And so, yeah, you, you know, the teams try to do it themselves, but you lose that, you know, that third party that was doing that job for you um, not intentionally for you, but just keeping everything top of mind. So now it comes down to you guys and Huss and podcasts and, 
you know, other avenues. And as I mentioned, the team does stuff. They do some stuff very well, but you're not going to get that critical element of the club from them. That's not their job, is it, either? You know, Rick, just sticking with the, the media landscape, and then I have to ask you a mortgage question off air because my mortgage is coming up for renewal in about six or seven months, and the, the Bank of Canada just keeps increasing those yeah. rates. So I need well, the to The way get your power from... keeps going on and off, I'm a little suspect that you'd be able to pay your mortgage. <laughs> the most surprising part is that Ezzy ever got a mortgage in the first place. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true, Rick. I, let's just say that I need your help. I need Virtuity Mortgage's help. Uh, because I don't think I'm going to have enough money to pay for my mortgage the way things are going. But no, in all, in all seriousness, I wanted to ask you about the news that came out. I don't think it's been officially announced yet, but um, I'm, I'm talking about Hockey Night in Canada. Obviously, we can talk about that now uh, because we're not affiliated with uh, Bell Media, even though I'm wearing the T-shirt. But um, what are your thoughts on, you know, the news that, you know, Ron McLean could be gone, Jennifer Botterill could be gone, uh, Kevin Bieksa, Kelly Rudy, apparently... It might just be Elliot might be the, the last man standing with, with the new crew, but just wanted to ask you about that. I wasn't planning on asking you about it, but I was definitely surprised because, uh, I mean, I, I, I thought, you know, McLean, Rudy, Botterill, Bieksa, I, I thought they were a great crew. Well, let me just provide some context to Ezzy's question yeah. for people who might not be aware. Howard Berger, who has been involved in sports media in Toronto for decades, came out with that report saying that it's going to be more or less wholesale changes at Hockey Night in Canada. That Elliot, that Elliot Friedman would be the last man standing. That all the player, all the individuals, as he named, were going to be out uh, for this coming season. Now, Rick, you probably know Howard uh, yeah. personally, so you, I guess you, you can answer Ezzy's question now. Yeah, and I, I, I've seen Howard's report. Um, you know, uh, I won't doubt Howard because I know he's got some contacts, uh, not only within the, the Leaf organization, but also, um, you know, with Hockey Night in Canada. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ron McLean, that's going back to when Dave Hobbs flipped his pen and then Ron came in, if I'm not mistaken. So that, you know, there's a generation of people that only know Ron McLean. I know George as well. They've moved him in there to try and get a little bit of a different look and that, and that didn't work. So Strombolopoulos moved on and they brought Ron back, but this is a changing of the guard. You know, it happens. We've seen it with the national news in this country as well. Um, Some positive, some not so much, but you know, for, to see Ron McLean go, if that's what's going to happen and, and Jennifer Bottle, I like, you know, and I've heard different things out of Toronto as well with, you know, when it comes to hockey coverage, looking at the television screen from a producer's perspective and saying it, it doesn't represent the country uh, of how the country is made up from different nationalities now. So th- that may have something to do with it. I don't know who's um, making that call. It would go up quite high. I mean, Joel Darling is, I think, one of the executive producers. I know a couple of the others that are there, but I'm not sure who's at the top of that because it could be on the Rogers side. Um, and outside of Hockey Night in Canada, which is kind of, it used to be a CBC thing, and now it's all owned by Rogers. So mm-hmm. someone's making a decision up at the top there. If that indeed that's going to be the case. And Kelly Rudy's had a pretty good run as well. Um, but there's a lot of generation of viewers now, you could argue, that don't know who Kelly Rudy is or don't remember him playing. So that, that's fair. Jennifer's younger. I think that's unfair. And I thought Bieksa did a good job as well. I think the challenge and a lot of people have mentioned it to me, especially this summer as well. And watching NBA coverage south of the border, you know, with Shaq and Barkley, and and you look at the NHL coverage south of the border as well with Messier and Gretzky and, and Chelios. And that, that, I think, people wonder, why can't we in Canada have that? And I suggest to them, no, 
that that's <laughs> a lot of money that's going on down there. That's a lot of revenue and that's a lot of money as well. And in this country, they may not, and it's hard for me to speak for, for Rogers, they may not have that kind of money to throw around to attract that type of talent to come in and be a broadcaster. And I think that's always been a question mark. I remember going back a couple of decades as well with, you know, hockey coverage. What happens when Gretzky retires? What happens when some of these big stars retire? Why can't they be lured to the broadcast side like you see it in the NBA, where those guys certainly don't need the money, but do it anyway? And now I think you're starting to see that south of the border. The question is, can they do it north of the border? So if you are, what you're saying is true and Elliot's the only one left, um, you know, you, you know, Elliot's good, but he, I don't know that he can, with all due respect to Elliot, he's not going to carry that whole thing by himself. But who knows what they have in store then? It could be something entirely different. And we used to see that with Coach's Corner, right, in the first intermission. At one time, that was appointment viewing. I remember being mm -hmm. at the Air Canada Centre in the first period. Everybody's in the press box watching the TV to see what Don was going to say. Mm -hmm. Now nobody wants to hear what Don has to say. And, you know, <laughs> Don was yeah, he's doing the podcast as well. But now here goes, if this is all true, Ron goes as well. So they could be almost reinventing the wheel here or trying to going forward. They've already taken one swing at it with George. It didn't work. So be curious if indeed Elliot's going to be the only one that survives that purge. Who, if any, is coming in to work around him, and how will they present that? What will we see? That, that's a big question. Rick, it's it's simply going to be Elliot Friedman reading his tweets. That's all it's going to be. He's just going to be <laughs> live on air, and he'll be yeah, reading his Elliot, tweets. He'll remember all of his tweets without having to read them. He's got an yeah. incredible uh, memory. Yeah. I worked with Elliot and George. In fact, I talked about the first sports station. Those were the characters that were. The, I call them characters with all due respect because mm -hmm. Elliot's done a fantastic job. But George was there. Elliot was there, and one of the guys, Brian, is now one of the top producers for Hockey Night in Canada. So it was a good group. and They've done very well, um, which is, you know, and I think of one guy, Greg Sansoni, who was a producer when I met him. He used to be for Bob McCowan, who, for those who haven't heard, Bob suffered a two strokes in hospital. He's still in the hospital, from my understanding. I think he got, um, I think I saw a tweet that he got out, which is good news. Maybe he out now? Okay. He's out. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully on the road, road to back. recovery. Yeah, I hope, he, I hope he recovers well. So, uh, but those guys, the younger guys were there. Sansoni's now pretty high up in the Rogers side. So that, that I'd be curious to know if he is making some of those decisions with some of the guys, including Elliot, who we all worked together at one time uh, back in the day. But, Ron, you know, Ron McLean was known too. I know Ron a little bit. You know, he would always be in the station and around. Very nice, personable guy, good guy. So if this is the end, that's unfortunate. But at the same time, I get it with all the changes that are going on, both in media and with teams. Mm -hmm. It was just a matter of time. He's been there, I think, since the mid 80s. Well, Dave, yeah. Dave, Dave Schultz, uh, I'm sorry, Dave. Uh, Dave Schultz wrote the sort of the first chapter of the book about Rogers getting the, the NHL rights, uh, which I'm not sure if you've read or not, but it's a great read about the negotiations. I have not read that. I, that. That is quite something. And that rights package. Yeah. That would be coming up soon, I think. Two years, I think. It's yeah, almost two done. Years. Yeah, yeah. And I remember that being signed. And uh, yeah, the, the yeah, catastrophe that it's been for, for Rogers, I would suggest. Yeah. Well, all the people that signed that deal are gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's always easy. Sign it and leave. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pelly, Keith Pelly, I think, was over in Europe with the European PGA. And I'm not sure where. Uh, I think Nadir Mohammed was the head guy. He's gone. I think they've had two changes since. It's. Yeah, it's kind of hard to keep up. I haven't tried to do that, but I have, you know, I, I do know that all the ones that were there in the power or the capacity to make that decision and sign that package are all gone. So, yeah, yeah it'll be interesting to see how they approach that in another two years. But you're right, Rick. I mean, it went from appointment viewing to 
if I watch it, I watch it. Then maybe you'll turn in for the second period to watch, you know, the the headlines. And that was, you know, and that was about it. Now, from the broadcast perspective, if if your if your team isn't playing, I, I, I it went from everybody wanting to watch on a Saturday night to whatever. You know, if you catch it, you catch it. If not, it's not the end of the world. And that's it's a. And you know, you're also right. I said I honestly, I think I wrote about it on Leo Curve before the Jets were even back. How the the TNT model is so much more successful. I'm not even a basketball guy, but I would watch the broadcast and I still watch TNT to watch Charles and Shaq and Kenny, the jet Smith. And you know, it's just, they're so good. And Ernie Johnson, of course, but they're so good that even someone who's not a diehard basketball fan would find himself watching the broadcast because it was so entertaining. So, you know, it's possible. There's guys like that in hockey. They just, for whatever reason, can't bring that to, consistently uh, on a consistent basis. Oh, and those are big personalities as well, as you mentioned, right? So when you get the NHL stars, like Mary Lemieux is not a big personality. And when I say that, I mean, he's not in front of the cameras. He shies away from the media. That's just not his thing. You know, awesome hockey player, good person, but, you know, that's not going to be his thing. Gretzky, with all due respect to what he's done, you know, maybe if he started opening up and telling a bunch of stories, you know, that would be good. But I think of a guy like Jeremy Roenick. Absolutely. That kind of, right? That kind sure, of character. We, just, we were all there. We just saw him. Yeah, those th- those kind of person, And the, and the league does have those personalities. You know, and I'm trying to think of guys that went through Winnipeg that had, you know, the personality. You know, Buff is a character. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that that would translate to television because there's another guy that just doesn't like the camera right. or for the most part the media. But, you know, you need character players who are quite recognizable as far as stars to be able to make that jump. Like, I don't even think McDavid is that kind of a guy. No, not at you all. Drysaddle's not that kind of a guy. So, you know, you go down the list. Is Crosby that kind of guy? I don't think so. I don't think McKinnon is. So where are the character guys that were really good players? And I think that's the challenge for hockey. And then it comes down to money. You know, yeah. are those guys going to do what, you know, the national broadcaster here in Canada offers? And so far, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and you're right, Rick. I mean, Jeremy Roenick, who we just saw, obviously, at the sports dinner uh, last, you know, last month, was it? It was yeah. phenomenal. And he he's a talker. And he's a, I, I, coincidentally, in that thing I wrote about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, he was one of the guys I mentioned because he is that type of person, that type of personality that's, ex- he, first of all, n- play the game at the highest level yeah. and, and, but also has that personality that is engaging. And we saw it, you know, 12, 15 years ago, and we see it again, just, you know, last month. So, you know, he's capable of doing that. We could talk about that all day, but you know, we want to talk about your time in Winnipeg. This is the last one for you, but just maybe some memories here in Winnipeg and, and as you sign off after over a decade in our fair province. Like in on the air, the memories. No, 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 just 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 off the air. Just your, just memories, your memories of us, of... Rick, specifically. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I don't have a funny story. Like I, I don't know how funny it is, but uh, I, the only person I knew when I moved out here was Dennis Bayak because I knew Dennis in Toronto, and so Dennis had told me about illegal curve, and that there was these guys, and he felt there was four, there might be five that were covering the team, and so when we got out here. Uh, again, Dennis and I were the only ones <laughs> that knew. Uh, Dennis, I think, knew a couple other people here, but I. I didn't know anybody other than Dennis. So, you know, from day one, just start to meet people. And then I, I would meet Ezzy, but then I wouldn't see Ezzy the next day. And it would be cool. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a different one again. And then, you know, and then Richard Paul, I'm like, you know, there's a tall one. Like how many are there? And, and I would talk to Dennis about this. I said, have you met them all yet? And he goes, well, I've met a few 
And I don't, and we, it took like three weeks, I think, for the two of us to figure out there's five of you originally, right? And, uh, and because Remus wasn't around very often. So that was, that threw a real curve into it when all of a sudden he appeared. I'm like, which one's this one? But yeah, now, yeah, and Richard's moved on for the most part. Shauna Sore's been a part of it. So yeah, I, you know, after a while, it only took two or three weeks for Dennis and I to figure out how many of their, of them there was you guys, and whatever the name was, but yeah, it was a real challenge in those early days as it was, you know, just to try and understand the city. And, you know, I had some fun on the air too. Like somebody would call from Fort Gary and I'd ask why they have a fort, what they're defending, you know, just stuff like that to kind of get used to, you know, the city, the, the street names, that kind of stuff. That's always a challenge when you're moving to a new city, right. To learn that. But that's where the kind of, you know, the entertainment came in on the early days of the post-game show was, you know, the callers. And, it, it, and I will remember that stuff. It still cracks me up to this day, Rick, when you would uh, somebody would ask you how you are and you'd say, I'm not unwell. And no, they would I'm just not, immediately yeah. just, they, they, they just freeze. They'd have no idea how to respond to that as they're processing exactly what it is that you said. And you just, you, I'm, I can hear you sort of off air, just chuckling to yourself at getting them each and every time when you were able to get them with the, I'm not unwell uh, line. No, I, no, I, I mean, there's Don who lived in the, uh, the West End. I'm like, why don't you live in the East, Don? Why? <laughs> just an idea but anyway what do you want to talk you know it never became the big focus but it was always something little cosmic bob got his nickname because of his phone line quality he ran it through a transistor radio somehow <laughs> but it was feedback sometimes or like a so it sounded like he was in outer space which and oftentimes when he's calling it his topics where he painted his microwave and it blew up like unprompted for that that just came out Right. And I'm laying on the couch at uh, the bench at Boston Pizza. I'm down. Trevor Kidd, I think, was on the air with me and he's trying to keep it together. I've, I can't. I'm down. I've never had anybody describe that they've painted their microwave and it blew up. But, you know, Dan and St. Vital would call and he'd always ask if I agree. And I would, I would always agree the first two times and the third one I wouldn't. And then he'd get mad and then we'd change the caller. Like it was kind of you had the there's the same people. Five percent of your audience calls. Right. And then but if something happened on in the game that drew others then you would have more people but you had to have just like a bar to me you had to have your regulars um and we and we certainly had that right david in calgary and john in atlanta um who was the only guy you know georgia for, with an accent which was kind of fun to have on um and yeah, don't forget about Martin Martin Vancouver. like I, I i won't forget bass playing brian plays in a band he's from windsor park um, and then there's Andrew who was walking in the snow one night called the post game show. You can hear him crunching, you know, as he walks in the crisp snow. Andrew, are you outside? And he stops. There's no more crunching. And so now this becomes like a in the show, in the middle of the show, it become a bit of a distraction because I know people are listening to what he has to say, but I also know, like me, all we can hear is him walking in the snow. So, you know, stuff like that. I was here as a kid. Now, my grandmother, as I mentioned, my, my father was from Nipawa. His family was from Nipawa. Uh, his grandparents were the first settlers in Carberry as well. So I've got a deep history here in Manitoba from my dad's side. Um, you know, his, his uncle was the first superintendent of schools in, in Portage La Prairie. His other uncle ran um, Manitoba Hydro in the early 70s. So there's, and then my aunt, I call her aunt, some say aunt. <laughs> you know, he, he went to school with Peggy Weems. Uh, who was Margaret Lawrence in Nipawa. So she, they were friends growing up as, as kids. So I have a real connection to Manitoba. Unfortunately, when I got here in 2011, on September 11, 
they're all dead. All my relatives are gone because my parents were older. So I, my brother and I came out. We did visit a lot of grave sites and met everybody, but uh, it was kind of one-sided conversation. And sometimes it was <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> Rick Ralph from, from Rick uh, from day one. Even if you weren't sure which one of us was which, you've treated us with. I got it figured out. Yeah, got it figured out now. Finally, yeah, Dennis and I both figured it out. It took about two, three weeks though. Yeah, you guys were never in the room together all at once. I bet that you was, never thought you worked so challenge. closely with Remus then, did you? Yeah, well, Remus, then I, yeah, then I end up with Remus, uh, you know, working with him day to day. You could have applied for funding, I think. You could have, been, you could have, been, you know, maybe been like an adult, uh, you know, adult daycare sort of situation with him for a while there. But not a guy, I, I you know, I'd worked with some producers in Toronto and some of them were pretty good, but nobody was better than Michael to find guests somehow deep into the channels of the internet, like how he'd come up with a former player who's now living, you know, somewhere in the United States running a hockey school. But he was, he was always really good at that and, and continues to be, but yeah, that, that's, that's what I'll, you know, take from working with Remus. It was, he was a lot of fun to work with, but he was also really good at, at finding guests. We, we somehow over the years, we've all, we've all grown up a little bit. We've all matured a little bit. We've all, but we've all sort of shared that a little bit, just a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit, but we've all sort of shared that same, uh, uh, commitment to respect for one another. And like I said, from day one, even if you didn't know which one of us was, which you treated us with respect and regard. And I can say it, I'm sure Dave and as he would agree, we appreciate you for all that. And we look forward to, uh, I think we're getting together Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken, right? Wednesday. I was there Wednesday, August nineteenth. Yeah, we leave that out. Yeah. Yeah. After this, hopefully that you don't rescind the invite, Rick. <laughs> we look forward to it, Rick. Thank you for this. We'll we'll tip a few back and we'll talk about some more memories. We appreciate you. Thanks, guys. Good, good to see y'all. Likewise, Rick. Be Here's well. Rick. Thanks so much. See you soon. There he goes, Rick Ralph, joining us this morning. Let's go to break. You're watching the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over thirty years. Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Jon Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party, even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Hi, Ez. A strange question for you. But why are you lying on the ground being crushed by a piano? Well, Drew, I definitely tried to carry this baby grand piano down the stairs by myself, and somehow I failed miserably. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was a silly question on my part. My apologies. Would you like me to call Rolly's Transfer Moving and Storage to help you move the piano? They are the most experienced piano moving company in Winnipeg, after all. Yes, please call Rollies and hurry. This piano is very, very heavy. Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage offers stress-free residential moving services while taking great care of your personal belongings, including your piano. At Rollies, no job is too big or too small. For more information, visit Rollies.com. Hi, it's Drew from Illegal Curve here. Selling your home can be stressful, but it wasn't for me. Thanks to my friends at Zapia Group Realty, they made the process so easy. My home sold within 48 hours and with multiple offers. Zapia Group Realty took care of everything with their exquisite customer service and attention to detail. If you want to sell your home for more in less time, get started by talking to Frank and Mauro Zapia of Zapia Group Realty. Online at zapiagroup.com. Hey, Drew. 
Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center, and they whitened my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go... We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs, from restorative to cosmetic dentistry, and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. Boston Pizza harnessed Fanalytics to help optimize no-look dipping. Ooh, making adjustments? So you can stay focused on the game. The playoffs at Boston Pizza, powered by Fanalytics. Well, that was a fun walk down memory lane with our good friend Rick Ralph joining us this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Big thanks to Rick in case you miss any of that, in case you miss any of the show. There's an immediate replay on our YouTube channel. And of course, the podcast edition of the show will be available shortly after the show ends as Dave Manouk does all the great work he does in getting that out on the podcast channels. I pretend to know... Uh, how that works, but uh, you both know I'd be lying about that front. Uh, as he's having technical difficulties, uh, which, which is appropriate is, considering it's his last show of the year. Yeah, you know, he, you know, it's his last show of the year. He's taking the next couple shows off, so you know, Dave and I will drive this bus home through the uh, the end of July. The, the dog was, days of summer. The dog days of summer, but that's okay. You know how we're going to end it, of course. Two weeks from today, the 29th of July. AMA, ask Manuk and Mendel anything. That's two weeks from now, so you can look forward to that. Get your questions ready. Whatever under the sun you want to know, whether it's Jets related, whether it's Drew related, whether it's Dave related, AMA, two weeks from today on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, just as we always wrap it up before we head off into our August hiatus. And of course, we will be back in September right after the Labor Day long weekend. So you'll get about five weeks off off from us on a Saturday morning. But again, you never know when we're going to pop up. If there's something relevant and worthwhile, we might randomly appear on a midweek Tuesday to bring you the latest on whatever that might be. Uh, looks like Ginsburg's back. Uh, so do we start to go fund me for your new computer now? I mean, your birthday's coming up pretty soon. Are you maybe asking for a new computer for your birthday? How are you going to resolve uh, this issue? You have... Eight weeks, if I'm not mistaken, you'll have eight weeks after today's show until you're next back on the air. Dave, is there any chance he has this problem resolved in those eight weeks? You think there is, Dave? Is Dave's giving two thumbs up. I think that's well, very today, optimistic. I'm definitely going to be buying a new computer. I was trying to log in through my computer, but on my MacBook, but the battery says it's not charging. So uh, that, I apologize, boys. That's why I was a couple minutes late here. But uh, yeah, after today, I'm definitely going to buy a computer. But yes, I have asked you boys. My birthday is in nine days, July 24th. I asked you guys to get me a computer for my birthday present. But as every year comes around, you guys never get me a birthday present. So I'm going to have to buy my own computer. But uh, yeah, I apologize. What a great interview. With whoa, whoa, birthday. whoa. First of all, that's erroneous, Ezzy. I bought you a birthday gift. What did you do with it? Oh, yeah, that's right. You bought me that uh, whatever that thing was for the snoring, right? It was something that I put in my uh, in my nose or something like that. But I had to get the real deal, Dave. I had to get the CPAP. Yeah, and the worst part was it wasn't that – I think that was one of those as-seen-on-TV things. And uh, as he tossed it, I was like, no, it's a $30 gift. I guess, guess as he just doesn't care. Well, it clearly doesn't. Very rude of him, if you ask me. I mean, you're giving the entire audience a seizure today uh, by moving his camera so much. Maybe just leave the camera steady there, big boy, and, and you'll be fine. Yeah, the camera's good. 
The camera's good. It's everything else about the Actually, the, the slow moving the camera's even worse. What are you doing? Can you stop whatever you're doing? Maybe get yourself settled. And yes, it was a great interview with, with Rick. Uh, I can't believe he'd be willing. Fenty <laughs> thought I bought Ezzy some Coke. No, I didn't buy Ezzy Coke. <laughs> Something for his nose. I guess that makes. I guess that would make some sense. It's funny. But no, it wasn't that. Uh, Spencey's still... quick. He's he's very quick witted. I got to give Spencey credit. He always has the the very quick responding comments. Yeah. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, still Willie Donick, who is the Predators play by play guy. He's going to join us to talk about the off season of changes in Nashville. We know Barry Trotz is running the ship there. How does the outlook look for 2023 24 for the Jets Central Division rival in Nashville? So that's coming up still at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Ezra Ginsburg, Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk with you on this Saturday morning. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Big thanks to some of our sponsors, Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, Betway, Dr. Les Rikus and the team at Linden Market Dental Center, Grid Park, Tough Duck, Boston Pizza, Rolly's Transfer, The Keg, Zapia Group Realty, and Seagram's. Those fine companies are helping support this broadcast, and I wonder if they're regretting some of their decisions as this show goes on on this Saturday morning there, uh, Mr. Ginsburg. Uh, well, no, that money's going to help me buy a computer one day, Drew. One day. We're, we're all going to... One day. We're going to pool our efforts day, together. One day. Yeah, not any day soon, but one day you're, you're going to be able to maybe scrounge things together to, to make that a reality. Well, maybe Dave uh, will give me one of his computers. Dave's got like 12 computers at his house, so. I doubt very much that's going to happen. Is the computer plugged in? Let's start small. No, it's plugged in. That's Come on, Drew. This isn't my first rodeo. I realize we were talking to Rick Ralph about the Calgary Stampede, but this isn't my first rodeo here, Drew. It's plugged in. I get, The battery's screwed up. I don't know if it's all of that... Uh, other stuff that I download on this computer, I have no idea. But uh, um, and and when I say about other stuff, I mean uh, obviously Game of Thrones and other great series that I download. Um, yes. uh, CSI Miami, among yeah, others. I but, think you're, uh, you're, when you downloaded was called Game of Horns, and that was that was the part of the problem there. As it was actually the Sopornos, Drew. That's what it was. The Sopornos. Okay. The Sopornos, yes. I know you enjoyed that uh, that that show very much as well. Uh, did you guys read the article? Mike McIntyre in today's free press sat down with Nino Niederreiter. Uh, I didn't which, sit down with him. Oh, spoke with him over the phone is, is what You're I meant. I, I, I was going to say, I don't think they flew Mike to Switzerland to have a conversation, but okay. Spoke with him on the phone. So virtually. They were actually both in hammocks. They were swinging as they spoke. Fair enough. I hate you both. That, that's what I would say. I, I just thought it was a very interesting article. Sort yep. of because we talked about that last week on the show, Nino Niederreiter and his impact. Because I thought he was a guy that's sort of going under the radar and isn't really being uh, focused on uh, this offseason. When I think he really is one of the key linchpins to the Jets' success next year. This is a guy who, on most teams he plays on, is a key contributor and is a guy who's found. Uh, 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 a, a fair deal of success throughout his career. And, and most of the teams that he plays on are competitive. And I think Nito Niederreiter is just one of those players every team needs that he's just, uh, I'm pretty sure I said the same thing last week anyways, he's just a professional hockey player. He's going to do what needs to be done to lead his team to success and victory more often than not. And I thought that it was good of Mike to also sit down with him, not sit down with him literally, but speak with him on the phone to talk about his thoughts about the offseason so far and his perspective on the Jets moving forward. I also thought it was interesting this week. I don't know if you guys follow Jay Fresh Hockey on Twitter, 
does a great job looking at the game sort of through an analytical bent and some of his player cards are real make it really easy for a dullard like myself to understand the impact the player has and he said the Jets is currently constructed assuming they don't trade shape uh, trade shifley assuming they don't trade hellebuck could sort of be a bit of a sleeper team uh heading into next year not necessarily a cup contender but maybe better than a lot of people think given their the depth that they have on the roster right now well yeah if you want to if you want to start off with the the jay fresh thing and then I haven't read uh, Mike's article about Nino Niederreiter, but I agree with you, Drew. He's a key player. Like, whether Niederreiter plays on the second-line wing, guys, or he plays on the third-line wing, um, that just makes you – that honestly, you might have one of the better third lines in the league if you've got Adam Lowry between Alex Ayafalo and Nino Niederreiter, for example, right? You could also have Vlad Nemesnikov on the wing uh, on your third line, but as we know, Nemesnikov can also center the second line, right? But – just getting back to what you were saying about Jay Fresh, I agree. He does a great job. If you're interested in, in hockey analytics, definitely give Jay Fresh hockey a follow. Um, look, at we talked about it. The Jets were a 95-point team last year. I mean, there's there's no reason they can't be a 100- to 105-point team if the majority of their uh, core players stay healthy, right? Like, we've talked about it. Nikolai Ehlers, he's got to be healthy for a full season. Cole Perfetti, he's got to be healthy for a whole, whole season. Then, obviously, as you mentioned, Drew, I mean, Connor Hellebuck being part of this Jets team next year is going to go a long way in in them being a playoff team, right? But getting back to what you said about Niederreiter, I think, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see in training camp in September, you know, beginning part of the season in October, you know, how these lines kind of shape up. Because we know if Shifley is in the fold, I mean, Shifley, Connor, Ehlers is obviously your, your most likely your first line, but um, guys like Ayafalo, guys like Velarde can play on the second line, can play center or wing when you're talking about Velarde. Dave mentioned this last week, and I think Dave is right. I mean, this is probably Perfetti's year to really establish himself. Um, I mean, last year he had, what, 30 points in 50 games, something like that, Dave. Like, he was top 10 in rookie scoring last year, so let, let's not diminish that. Um, but especially with the injury, I think, you know, the Jets are expecting big things out of Perfetti. Perfetti's expecting big things out of himself, right? But, yeah, Niederreiter, Dave, uh, Drew, is a guy that, you know, I think I said, you know, I thought he'd played around four hundred, four or 500 games. He's actually played around 800 games at the NHL level. And when you have younger players on this Jets team, we just talked about, you know, Perfetti and, you know, Velarde is still a young player. Uh, Rasmus Kupari is still a young player, David Gustafson. Having a veteran like Niederreiter, who has, a, ha, has consistently been kind of that 40 to 50 point guy, but also a guy who you know, gets in on the forecheck, leads by example. He's got that physical element to his game, goes to the greasy areas, as they say, right? Yeah, he's going to be an important part of this team. So as I mentioned, haven't read the, you know, the the words that Mike McIntyre wrote uh, on the Winnipeg Free Press website, but there's no doubt that, you know, that Niederreiter uh, trade with Nashville for a second round pick, just it, it almost looks like it gets better and better as the days go by. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think when the Jets made that trade, they, most people declared it as a pretty good steal, even if you know the team continued to struggle a little bit. But I don't think anybody ever pointed that struggles at Nino Niederreiter. He's the kind of player that every team wants in the league, just a guy who goes out, does his job with, a, with, with effectiveness and knows exactly what his role is day in and day out, Dave. 
Yeah, there's no question about it, Drew. I mean, look, he's and and look, you need that kind of person, and he's in the final year of his deal, of course. So he's going to be looking for some sort of whether it's an extension with the Jets or or, and that's what you want. You want a guy who's incentivized to perform because you're going to need you're going to need the depth, and and we can kind of tie everything in together because I think Nito Niederreiter is emblematic of this Jet team in general in the sense that there is a lot of depth. Uh, with the team and from what they're bringing, you know, with a guy like him and, and it's more that Seattle model, right. Versus, versus having a high powered top line, a pretty good powered second line and devoid of, of goal scoring in the third and fourth lines. You, you have a little bit more balance throughout the, the lineup. Now, I think we'll see, of course, how, how the year plays out. It's easy to say. It's another thing to see how it actually takes place. But yeah, I think he is, you know, like I said, he'll be an important cog in that wheel in terms of what that Jets production can look like from, uh, you know, what he's done. And yeah, as he's right, it was a steal for a second rounder in the 2024 draft to to give up for Nito Niederreiter. Of course, yeah. he got it back with the trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois from Montreal or via Montreal, I should say. But ultimately, you know, he is the kind of player who, you know, has you know, again, he has very good leadership qualities, not the kind of rah-rah, like, you know, pull a guy in like that, but he he leads by example. He does what a lot of the Jets don't do, which is go to the dirty areas. He's not a perimeter player. He's not afraid to be in front of the net and score from that from that greasy area, as he. So that's, you know, what this Jets team needs. And, and again, I think he is the kind of guy who, you know, it's, it's like a, he's a guy who's, again, he's saying the right things. And it's easy to say these things because he is in the final year of his deal, but he's saying the to speaking to the article that Mike wrote. And if you want to read it, of course, we've got a link in the morning papers today. Um, so go to illegalcurve.com slash morning papers, and you'll be able to see the uh, link to Mike's article. There's another one by Jacob Stoller of the hockey news on defensemen who could use a potentially a change in scenery. And that was about Billy Hainola. So there's, there's some good, and then of course, we've got a lot of good video links and audio links that you can find on the Port Morning Papers. But getting back to this, I, again, like I said, I think he is exactly the kind of player who is what the Jets need. Someone who's going to be responsible, who's going to add depth, who's not going to, you know, be a selfish player. And, and again, that's how this team is going to do it because it's going to be a lot as by committee because you're trading away guys who can score and Blake Wheeler still was a producer. So you're going to need to find replacements for that. And I agree, Cole Perfetti is a guy who's going to have to step up his game big time. He's going to get that opportunity. We heard it from Kevin Sheveldale right at the draft. What was one of the things he talked about was that idea of the opportunity for or for Cole Perfetti. Well, he doesn't say that by accident. He's saying that with intention. You know, it's funny. I was just looking, and the, the last word on Nino Niederreiter, but we'll go to break and bring in Willie Donick to talk about the Predators, and we can ask Willie about Nino's influence there because he spent that year there. But it's interesting, and Willie, in, in Nino Niederreiter's career, since really breaking in and, and becoming a regular in the NHL with the Minnesota Wild in, in 2013-14, he's missed the playoffs once. He missed the playoffs one season, and that was with the, his last year. No, pardon me. He got traded to the Hurricanes that year. So he's never missed the playoffs since he's been a NHL regular. So that tells you that this is a guy who plays on winning hockey teams. And I think he's one of those guys that everybody uh, you know in the league needs. So there's a little bit of trivia if you want to talk about Nino Niederreiter. He's never missed the playoffs since becoming an NHL regular in 13-14. Sorry, I know we're about to go to break. It's starting to rain out here, so I'm going to cut out and I'm going to have to rejoin inside. Later no, you boy. don't have to rejoin. It's fine if you don't. 
We'll see you. There he goes. Willie Donick joining us next. You're listening to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Commercial free from here till the end of the program. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. As he's changed locations, as he promised that he would, Dave M is still in the same spot. As always, I'm your host, Drew Mandel, here to talk about the Winnipeg Jets and the Nashville Predators. As soon as Willie Donick, the Predators play-by-play voice, is going to join us for an update about the Jets division rival, their offseason where they've done a lot of moves. Obviously, a new head man in charge in Nashville in Barry Trotz, replacing David Poyle for the first time, I think, in the organization's history. So it'll certainly be an interesting year in Nashville. It's going to be an interesting year in the really in the entirety of the Central Division. You know, the you know, what of the Colorado Avalanche, who undoubtedly had a disappointing year uh last year in losing in the first round to the uh to the Seattle Kraken. Are the Avalanche as good as they've been before? Probably not, especially without Landeskog for the entirety of the year. And then there's some other question marks still going around that team. Uh, you know, the Dallas Stars, the Minnesota Wild, you know, the Jets, the Central is not the juggernaut that it was a few years ago. The Central arguably is not that really difficult of a division at all. So does that provide the Jets with a leg up, you know, uh, you know, potentially putting them in the top three of that division entering next season. Long ways to go before that, of course. Long ways to go before the season starts. But if you look at the Central Division, you know, Chicago, yeah, they have Connor Bedard, but they're obviously rebuilding. Uh, Arizona, well, I'm not sure how they're going to recover without Alex Galchenyuk now after they had to terminate his contract uh, earlier this uh, earlier this week. Did you read the quotes that Galchenyuk was accused of, of, of saying, Dave? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it, but it's, it's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. This isn't things that you know, well people. He's all, he, say. No, the reality. Well, I was gonna. I think you hit it on the head. He's not well. Yeah, I mean, he's not just, well. I mean, that's it's, and we wish him. I mean, you, you know, you don't want to make light of a situation like that, but it's certainly no. not a a good scenario. You can understand why his contract was terminated, and hopefully, he gets the uh, the help that he seems to be in need of because you know this is a human and a person you're talking about first and foremost, more than a hockey player. Not that he was going to be a contributing uh, member of the of the Arizona Coyotes in any uh, significant way, shape, or form. St. Louis Blues, they're the ones that are still sort of to me. The, one of the most interesting teams in the Central, Dave, as mm-hmm. you know, St. Louis obviously had that just very disappointing year last year. Are they going to be able to turn it around and get back to where we're, we're used to them being? But we'll talk now about the Nashville Predators and welcome to the program, proudly sporting his Vanderbilt Commodores t-shirt, which I'm not the least bit happy about as a University of Kentucky fan. Willie Donick, the Predators play-by-play guy, joins us on the show. Willie, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, guys. And uh, sorry for being a little bit late. I was, uh, I don't know, I was still in the archaic world of phone calls, and I was thinking, wait a minute, they told me about StreamYard here. So, <laughs> But it is a good thing, so I can show off my black and gold here and, uh, and gloat about our victory over the Kentucky Wildcats in football. But we now have your quarterback in Nashville, Will Levis. So, so we yeah. got to root for the Kentucky fans a little bit here. I understand that. I can accept that a little bit. You know, it, it, I was a little torn about that. Look, gloat about your victory over the Gators. I have no problem if you gloat about your victory over Florida last year. Leave my Wildcats out of it if it's not too much trouble. Oh, I hear you. Hey, listen, we gloat about every win here for Vanderbilt football. We don't win that many. <laughs> that's true. That's true. The baseball team is the juggernaut <laughs> to, to be, to be uh, for those who aren't up to date on SEC sports. It's the baseball team in Vanderbilt that's one of the best uh, in the country. Uh, although I guess it was 
was LSU that won the national title this past year. Nonetheless, Willie, we're, we we digress. We brought you on to talk about the Nashville Predators and what has been a very interesting offseason in Nashville with the changing of the guard. David Coyle no longer running the, the ship there. Dauphin Manitoba's own Barry Trotz now in charge there. I guess from your perspective, before we get into the individual players and some of the moves that have been made, was it time for this change to happen? I, I think it was. Uh, you know, I I was really hoping that 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 last group could pull it out. They they were able to sort of creep back in it uh, unexpectedly down the stretch here. That would have been an amazing story to lose the guys that they did through injury mm-hmm. and maybe sneak into the playoffs. But the Jets had something to say about that, and that was really something that Barry Trotz looked at. He said, you know what that that team probably got the absolute most out of what they could or what they had down the stretch and it still wasn't good enough. So it was time to shake things up. So there's this organization has been pretty steady when you really go through the years, only one general manager up until just a couple of months ago, only now four head coaches. So the shakeup I, I think was kind of a fresh start. And I think a lot of the fan base welcomed that. Now, Willie, I wanted to get right into to Ryan O'Reilly because uh, you, you talked to him on your show. I think it was Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, and I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but I want to listen to it. And obviously, you know, O'Reilly was was the big signing. And, you know, we wanted to get your opinion on, on O'Reilly, obviously, a former Conn Smythe winner with the St. Louis Blues, obviously, you know, didn't have the 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 longest run with the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, but... You know, I don't speak for Drew or, or Dave, but it seems like Ryan O'Reilly up the middle was exactly what this Predators team needed. Well, what Barry Trotz set out to do, and he, he pretty much said it before the free agency period started, when he made some pretty controversial moves to, to trade Ryan Johansson basically for, for half price and, and getting nothing in return for the most part, the, the expiring contract of Alex Galchenyuk, and then buying out Matt Duchesne after not being able to trade him, you know, he that was showing that he wanted to clear the way for the young nucleus of players that a lot of you guys saw late in the season uh, up in Winnipeg a couple of times, really. Luke Evangelista, Cody Glass from Winnipeg, mm-hmm. and some of these other guys that got a chance to play. They showed some promise, but they wanted to make sure that those guys had room to grow. And quite honestly, Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne just weren't playing up to $8 million players. And w- when you're making $8 million, you need to be driving the bus. So they wanted to shake that up a little bit. And Ryan O'Reilly was, uh, in Barry Trotz's mind, I think the perfect type of guy that could sort of pave the way. He could support those guys and also be a really good influence on them and also be versatile enough to, look, if if Cody Glass all of a sudden makes a big jump up into that number one center position or number two center position, and they get fortunate enough that way, Ryan O'Reilly's versatile to, versatile enough that maybe he could slide down and still be a really effective player because he affects things all over the ice, whereas Johansson and Duchesne are really straight-up scorers. Willie, we saw those Milwaukee Admirals 30 times in the last two years. We know plenty <laughs> about the National Predators farm team uh, here in Manitoba. But, you know, I want to ask you about a guy who may get to the Milwaukee Admirals one day, Aiden Fink. And I ask about him, of course, because he was the last selection by uh, David Poyle. So how significant was that? And it seems like Nashville might still be drafting because they had so many draft picks. I think they had like 15 this year, next year. Like they have, I think they're still drafting right now, but how significant, how nice was it for him to kind of be able to end his tenure as GM in that way? 
Well, it, it was kind of a running joke, right? Every time uh, in the first round, a general manager would take the stage, they would give a little salute to David Poyle. So uh, that was a really nice touch. And then it ended that way with that trade for the final pick that David Poyle would make for Fink. And, you know, I, I don't know much about him. We saw him a little bit in the uh, in the rookie camp that they had uh, a little over last week. I think they like what they saw. They're, they're optimistic, really, about the entire uh, prospect pool because they've been able to really grow it. To, to David Poyle's credit, even though this team has been kind of in a win-now mode, he has been able to hang on to the first-round pick and so they have a pretty decent farm system, pretty deep farm system, and they hope it's only going to get better with all these draft picks. As you mentioned, they had 13 going into the draft, and they used 11 of them. Um, and one of the first things I heard about Fink is they they had him rated higher than a seventh-round pick. So we'll see what he turns into. Willie Donick, our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, talking about the Nashville Predators radio. Willie is their radio play-by-play broadcaster. Willie, in the lead-up to the draft and you know all the silly season in the NHL, the name that we heard a bunch was Yaroslav Askarov, the goaltender for the, the, the Predators. We know UC Soros is really one of the best goalies in the league on a very team-friendly contract, $5 million a year for the next two years, which will only make him 30 years old, so not really old, especially as it pertains to a goal tender you know but Askarov seems like he's right on the cusp of, of demanding more NHL work maybe as a as a starter how does that sort of play itself out do you think that the trade rumors we heard with his name in it were real or is sorrow uh, or could you see maybe a changing of the guard over the next couple of years when it comes to goaltending in Nashville well you guys have just hit on probably the number one thing that gets talked about from the the real diehard fans all the way down to the casual fans because that's such a big thing is who, who the goalie is, right? And um, I, I think to answer part of your question first, and the, I do think that Barry Trotz went very aggressively. He said it. I mean, not often do you hear a general manager go on the record after the draft was over. He did not name a scar off by name, but he said he made an uncomfortable offer to try to get up into the top three or five picks to get uh, what he thought was a really good crop of, Number one centerman he used specifically are game-changing kind of guys. Mm -hmm. And so it was widely speculated that Askarov was in that mix of a, of a package that that he put forth there. And so that being said, I, they, they love their goaltending. I mean, UC Saros was outstanding last year, I think even underrated uh, to a large extent, just because, you know, Nashville is not in the spotlight a whole lot, hasn't been. For, for the last couple of years. And he got hurt two years ago when they got into the playoffs and he never got a chance to really showcase what he could do on the big stage. And they also got a huge year from Kevin Lankinen last year. He was outstanding in the games that he played. And if you look at his underlying stats, they were phenomenal. And he got some very tough starts. You guys know how it is as a backup. You get into that <laughs> third game in four nights or the back half of a back-to-back -back when the team's traveling on the road. And he really shined. So there's no rush for Askarov. You guys saw him a ton last night, uh, last year when he played for Milwaukee. You'll probably see him a lot this year uh, because they still think that there's a lot of room to grow. He's so young. Uh, but that being said, I'm sure he's getting antsy. And there's all kinds of opinions that everybody has down here. Is you know, Should you trade him and keep Soros and sign him to that next big contract? Mm -hmm. Or should you, as, as Soros gets closer to the end of this contract, trade him because in theory that's when a scar off might be ready to jump in 
shades of Luongo and Schneider back in the day in Vancouver. Hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully the Predators will at least end up with one of those two, unlike the Canucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I, I do think that that would that's logical. And it, I, you know, look, they they had Pecorine and UC Soros for about mm-hmm. four years, and they had a tremendous tandem. Soros was very patient. He came into the league very young. I think he was 21 the first year. He was really the backup. And so that was a long process before he graduated up to where he is. So there is a there is a precedent there for keeping both as well. But I, I think a lot of fans are are really wheeling and dealing. You know, there's a lot of GMs that like to call radio shows. <laughs> Willie, we, we have to ask you about Nino Niederreiter because we were talking about Niederreiter uh, before we had you on. And when that trade was made, like, well, first of all, just going back to last summer, I thought that that was a great move for the Predators signing Niederreiter for a couple of years. And when the Jets acquired him, I think a lot of people were surprised at the fact that the Jets didn't have to give up a roster player, especially considering he had one year left on his move. So I guess two-part question for you, uh, considering what I think, I I can't remember if it was Barry Trotz or David Poyle who actually pulled the trigger on the Tanner Janot, Nino Niederreiter trade, but considering what the Predators got for Janot, how surprised were you that the Jets acquired Niederreiter for only a second round pick in 2024? And and what stood out to you about Niederreiter in his time with the Predators? Because I can tell you that Jets fans love Niederreiter, even though he's only you know been a Jet for less than half the season. Uh, fans are really excited to what to see what he can do you know in a full season next year for the Jets. Well, you, you hit on the the real turning point of the season last year. It, the team was on a long West Coast trip, and the Niederreiter trade was the first trade that signaled that the Predators were going in a totally different direction. You know, they, they were, they had a couple of guys hurt. Ryan Johansson had just been injured and was pretty much out for the season. Uh, the team was very up and down, still kind of looking at the playoff spot, but it was going to be a long shot. And so David Poyle just said, okay, we're, we're moving on. We're, we are, we're going to start trading off some veterans and seeing what we can get. So it was a very shocking move. It was particularly tough on the captain, Roman Yossi, because Nino is one of his closest friends. He was the one that kind of coaxed Nita Ryder to come to Nashville. And David Poyle felt really bad about that part of it. Uh, but he felt like it was what he had to do. And honestly, that was also, if I remember correctly, about 24 to 48 hours before the Predators went public and announced that Barry Trotz was going to be the general manager and waiting, but he had been there, you know, as we found out later, he had been around and been sort of, uh, you know, talking with David Poyle and lockstep about what they thought was best. And that Tanner, you know, deal happened a couple of days later. So it all started uh, going on. And really from that day forward, the predators have been probably the busiest team in doing a makeover in, in the entire league. But Nita Ryder is a great pro, you know, he, you know, exactly what you're getting from him. He, he is going to, He's going to be consistent at the end of the year. He's going to have his 20 goals, 25 goals. He's going to play hard nose hockey. He's going to do it with class. So it was tough to give him up. And I remember it, it thinking that's all they got for, for Niederreiter. But <laughs> Hey, uh, they, they, they did kind of make up for it because they got a lot more for Janot and, and obviously Matthias Ekholm and Mikhail Granlin to get rid of his contract. Um, so they Ron did pretty Hextall. well when it was end of it at the end of it, but it started with that Niederreiter deal. 
Well, Willie, we want to ask you about, because you know we're, we are a Manitoba-based show, so we got to ask, we have an obligation to ask about a Manitoban, although with Nashville, we could ask about a lot of guys, but specifically Cody Glass. So you, you mentioned him in one of your early answers. What, what is the ceiling uh, for Cody, and, and what is he seen as a potential? Is he a potential first-liner, or, or how do they view him in Nashville? Because, I mean, everybody watched that video when, when they said they were going to make him a, a full-time NHL, or you could, you, you don't have a heart if it didn't tug at your heartstrings a little bit watching that and his reaction. But what is what is his sort of the vision for Cody Glass next season in Nashville? Well, he's going to get a chance. Uh, I think he's earned it as well. If you look back, you know, one of the things that Barry Trotz said about Cody Glass is it's it's been the long road. Like if you go back, one of the things he really pinpoints, and this was well before he became a predator. When he was in Vegas, he, he had a really se- severe knee injury, and it was right during COVID. So you put those two things together, and it really slowed down his progress. It made it very tough, and he didn't recover for a while. And when the Predators picked him up in that three-way deal that involved Ryan Ellis, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was he was kind of uh, unknown. You know, they weren't you weren't sure what you were going to get from him, and they ended up sending him down to Mo- Milwaukee for an entire season. Uh, so again, he spent a lot of time playing against the moose, right? But that, they really feel like that is when he regained some confidence. He, uh, he got healthy. He got, he, he improved when maybe the, the limelight wasn't on him. He wasn't playing under the pressure of being the sixth pick in the draft. And then even after that uh, thing that you referenced in the early season, um, special that they did on NHL network, where he got very emotional, he still had. Uh, a, a little while before he really picked it up. His first 15 or 20 games, he didn't do much. But if you really look at what he did in the last, say, two-thirds of the season, he made a big jump. So what's his ceiling? I, I don't know if he's a number one center. I think he could be a really solid number two uh, on a winning team. I, I think it, the, the floor would be very solid number three center because I, I think he's, he's very good in a two-way game. Uh, he's a great passer. And they, but I'm really excited to see where he goes because each year he's gotten better. Willie, last question for you: The Predators subtract Ryan Johansson, they subtract Matt Duchesne from their roster. They add in a guy like Ryan O'Reilly. They add in a guy like Luke Shen, guys who are clearly on the back end of their career, but are guys that have won a lot of the places they've gone. Good character guys, no disrespect to Johansson and Duchesne, whose effort level might fluctuate from a game-to-game basis. Is Barry Trotz indicating and uh, with these moves and telegraphing the importance he's putting on character in the dressing room and on the ice when it comes to the Predators moving forward? Yeah, and he, he's made no secret about that. Uh, he he wanted he wanted a change. I don't know if it was as much Johansson and Duchesne not being character guys, but they, they wanted to sort of shake it up, new coach, new general manager, a lot of young players coming in, and he did pay for that winning experience and, and that leadership quality. In fact, you could probably argue he overpaid, right? Three years for Luke Shen, four years for Ryan O'Reilly. I think he probably had to go four to keep O'Reilly from going to, say, Toronto or maybe even back to St. Louis. Mm-hmm. But so maybe he played, paid a little extra. They had cleared enough cap space that they felt like they had it to spend. And so they wanted to keep that pathway clear for guys like Glass, Luke Evangelista, uh, Yuso Parson, and, and others to sort of graduate up into bigger roles. And, and really, that's where they're going to sw- sink or swim. You surround good leadership with the young players and see where you can go.
Ezra, you're on mute. We can't hear you. Yeah, there sorry, you Willie. I, I've been a bit of a mess today. My computer uh, conked out, and I'm at my uh, 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 wife's family's cottage out here, and then it started raining, so now I'm inside. But So I apologize to everybody. Wait. This isn't my best hour. But uh, When he says today, he means one... the last 39 years, but either way, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly right, Drew. But, no, but Willie, I just wanted to ask you, I thought it was important to, to mention the draft, right, because it was three weeks ago, and you know, we were uh, hoping that we could find a way to, to get to Nashville for the draft, but it didn't work out. All three of us have been to Nashville, and, and as you know, it's an incredible city. Uh, I hope to, to come back to Nashville one day, but we went to a Titans game and just the history of country music, the people there. I, I have only great things to say about the, the city of Nashville and the people that, that live there. And just wanted to ask you, now that it's been three weeks, like it just it looked like the, the city and everybody just had the best time in Nashville. Obviously, you know, it helped that you had some generational players, as you mentioned uh, earlier with, uh, you know, Bedard, uh, you know, Carlson, uh, uh, Fantilli. But now that it's been three weeks, what are kind of your, your takeaways from, you know, that whole week uh, in Nashville with, with the draft taking place there? Well, it was great. And, uh, you know, the only downside maybe because, because the Blackhawks had the first pick for Bedard that a lot of their fans came down. <laughs> but they got booed pretty, uh, pretty, ra- pretty rowdy by, by both sides. But they made their noise. They made their presence felt. But it was great. The, you know, the, Nashville has become a city where big events sort of seek them out now as, as a city. They've had, they had the NFL draft a couple years before. They had the NHL All-Star game. And so the reputation is starting to, to get there to where the bar is set high. So uh, for locals, it's like, oh, good. You got another big event. So now it's like, what's next? Right now, the uh, the Titans are in the process of starting uh, to build a new stadium that's going to have a roof on it so they get access to something like the Super Bowl or the basketball Final Four, maybe even, a, who knows, maybe a Frozen Four someday. So they, they love getting events like that. They know what they're doing. You get the musical angle to it. And uh, it was funny. Some of the people that went up to the podium were, were referencing bar tabs at Tootsie's across the street from the uh, from the arena. So there's no question that, that they, they partook. No question about it at all. I think, uh, yeah, that seemed why the second the the second day went so quickly. I think people had reservations <laughs> at tables up and down Broadway there to make sure that they were back, uh, you know, tipping the bar back a little bit. Willie Donick is the Predators play-by-play broadcaster on 102.5 The Game in Nashville. Willie, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us this morning. All right, guys, anytime. Enjoyed it. Likewise. Take care, Willie. All the best. There he goes, Willie Donick, joining us this morning on the show. Always great to hear from Willie. And before him, great to hear from Rick Ralph, in case you missed either of those two interviews. On today's program, they will be available on the YouTube immediate replay. They'll also be available on the podcast edition of the show, which will be up shortly after we sign off. Speaking of signing off, goodbye, Ginsburg. Don't message me for like seven weeks. We'll see you in September. What are you talking about, Drew? We're going to go to a Bombers game pretty soon. Let's not uh, let's not think that we're going to be getting rid of me uh, that quickly. But yes, I'm going to be taking. Look, at, it's my, it's my birthday weekend next weekend, so I think I'm entitled to take that weekend off, and I have some vacation time coming off. So, yep, this is my last show for the summer. Vacation time? You've been paying into a vacation pay, and no, Dave no, no, and I like, haven't known about it. No vacation. I'm talking about hockey, Manitoba. I'm taking some time on. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's my 41st birthday next weekend. So I'm going to be back out here. I saw uh, I saw a few people asking. I don't live out in Lac de Bonnie, but this is I think the fourth straight weekend 
uh, we've been out here. And and why wouldn't we? It's beautiful out here, right? So yeah, it's my last show of the summer. Um, you know, getting some time off. But as we've talked about, guys, like you know, with the kind of possibility that there could be another big trade invite involving Connor Hellebuck or Mark Scheifele. Yeah, we'll uh, let you know you about it in September. Yeah, exactly. Like so, uh, September is going to come very quickly. But uh, yeah, I just want to you know quickly say thanks for everyone for watching all season long, including the post game shows. I know Drew's probably going to be more um, articulate and eloquent when he signs off in a couple of weeks for the, officially for the summer. But uh, yeah, I'm ex- excited to have some time off. I'll be honest. Uh, I'll get to spend these Saturday mornings a couple hours more with my kids, but uh, thanks everybody for watching. It's been an incredible season and uh, yeah, we're looking forward to, it. we've got some exciting things coming as I think we'll be talking about in the weeks to come, but uh, definitely excited to, to have a little time off before September rolls around. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Good final words from <laughs> from Ezzy on this Saturday morning. He's shaking his head. Okay, sorry, I had to do that. I'll welcome you back. As that I That wasn't nice, Drew. <laughs> when have I ever been nice? I mean, come on, Dave. You had to know that something like that was coming. Nice and yours truly rarely go together. I say it with love. That's what people who oftentimes listen to this show might not understand, that every time that we stick the little knives into one another, it's done with love first and foremost. But Dave M and I will drive the bus home for the last couple of weeks here in July. And as I mentioned, two weeks from today, AMA, Ask Mindel Manuk anything that's how we're going to wrap up the 2023 summer portion of the illegal curve hockey show before we come back for training camp but you still got two weeks left of us so you can't go anywhere just yet all of you who've been watching us this morning it's great to see so many familiar friends driving through the summer doldrums with us as we await some more news from the Winnipeg Jets. If it's going to happen, it will be brought to you on IllegalCurve.com and here on the Illegal Curve YouTube channel. As I mentioned, a big thank you to Willie Donick, Nashville Predators play-by-play broadcaster. A big thank you to Rick Ralph for joining us for that great walk down memory lane. In case you missed any of it, it'll be available on the Illegal Curve podcast and the immediate replay on YouTube. A big thank you to all of our sponsors, Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club. Tonight, his final night in town, Kevin Banner. Next week, Jordan Rock. That's Chris Rock's brother. Tickets available, rumorscomedyclub.com. Our friends at Linden Market Dental center grid park the keg zapia group realty betway tough duck boston pizza seagram's and of course Rolly's transfer support these fine businesses because of their continued support for illegal curve hockey we wish ezzy nothing but the best for the remainder of the summer dave m and i will be here for the next couple weeks if you haven't already done so smash the like button subscribe to the youtube channel subscribe to the podcast Leave us feedback here, there, and everywhere. We always like to hear what you have to say about the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Big thanks to everyone for joining us. Have a great rest of your weekend, whatever you're doing. Be safe while doing it. Until next Saturday at 9 a.m., we wish you nothing but the best. And if it's Saturday, it's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show, live on YouTube and all of our social media platforms. Thanks for listening to this broadcast from Illegal Curve Hockey. For more great Illegal Curve content, subscribe to the Illegal Curve YouTube channel, follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.